Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Barbell Voodoo Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Facing. This podcast is brought to you by Paleo Works. It's a locally owned meal prep kitchen with a passion for paleo. They make it easy for people to have the nutrition they need when they need it. They deliver weekly menus of heat and eat paleo meals, athlete recovery meals, and bulk macro items for those of you counting macros, as well as a variety of side items that can be added to your order. Their meals feature 100% grass-fed, all-natural and hormone-free chicken, beef, and pork. They have pickup locations all over the place to make it easy for you to pick up your meals, and they also have delivery options around Nashville area for a small fee. Paleo Works wants to make nutrition the easiest part of your day. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Barbell Voodoo podcast. Go check out the website at barbell-voodoo.com for all your awesome apparel needs, and also check out Barbell Voodoo Private Label. We just want to be a part of anything you're doing, and anything you need printed, that's the place to have it done. In the meantime, enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the Barbell Voodoo Podcast. I am here uh, this time with uh, Matthew Russell. He is the man behind the amazing technology that you wear out during competitions and also registering for competitions, throwdowns.com. Most everybody probably that listens to this has used this and gone to this before, Um, I think paid money through this probably, and and all kinds of things. And so for me, it is really neat to uh, be a part of meeting the actual human behind this technology that we use all the time. So welcome to the show, Matthew. Glad you're here. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to get to know you. Um, so we are connected through a friend of mine, Bob. Bob. Um, and uh, he's a great guy. Now lives somewhere else. He's abandoned all of us here in Nashville. He's occasionally in town, but you know that doesn't really count anymore. But uh, I'm glad he connected with us, and I look forward to hearing your story. So, where did it all begin? Did you just, uh, you know, were you born, and then you were like, you know, it'd be really cool if I could techno- technologically support like these competitions and all this really cool stuff behind the scenes, like, you know, like. <laughs> to, to 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 get to that, you know, we we'd really have to go all the way back. I think so. I I actually grew up in the rural parts of West Virginia, mm-hmm. pretty much in in the middle of nowhere, with my great grandparents who were born in uh, nineteen ten and nineteen seventeen. So they were oh wow part of this greatest generation that we that we mm-hmm. hear about that Tom Brokaw wrote a book about. Yeah, um, just. You know, a very distinctive set of values mm-hmm. was in that generation, and uh, when people say "salt of the earth," these are the people they're talking about. Right? Oh yeah, the, yeah, these are the people that you know, like literally, you are entitled to nothing that you don't earn. If you don't work, you don't eat. I mm-hmm. mean, the we that that was sort of the discipline of the household growing up. It was very much. Um, you have to work and earn it because you're probably just not lucky enough to get it any other way. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, generationally now we have more that we're entitled to it and that's a very different mindset that's evolved over the generations for sure. So mountain mama, right? West Virginia, mountain mama, the way the song goes. 
Yeah, uh, you know, you, country roads take me home, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's every where time you were. We, we when we drive back to West Virginia, you know, as we cross the state line, I always turn that song on. Do you right? really? Yeah, I always do. <laughs> to, to the point now that you know, I have two little girls. They they request mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Right. So they know that when we cross the state line, which we don't go back there that often, but uh-huh. when we do, they know. Oh, where's that song? Well, so here, okay, let's see how ingenious this this was. This thing you do. So is that take out the question? Are we there yet? The entire trip? No, gosh. They still um, ask we, that. We, you know, <laughs> variation. So, so my one of my girls is um, she. She will not only ask, you know, how long until we get there, but but she will do it in reverse. She'll say, so how long has it been since we left the house, or how long has it been <laughs> since we left wherever we're leaving from? She she yeah. wants to know where she's at in that spectrum of time. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you can always just say, well, has the song played yet? We're not quite there. Yeah. Well, that that's the that's clue. Funny. She knows we're almost there when that happens. <laughs> All right. So you grew up in, in West Virginia. What, what was going on there? You grew up with your grandparents. Great grandparents. Uh, great grandparents. Yep. Salt of the earth. Um, what was, what was that like living with people, you know, like great grandparents as, as your guardians? Is that? Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, they, they were my, my guardians, um, you know, functionally they acted as my mother and father. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, as a, as a young kid, it, it almost didn't seem fair at the time, right? Because everyone else, they were sort of like getting the cool shoes or mm. getting to plug into whatever, you know, the fad was at the time yeah, and, yeah. and their parents were, you know, just sort of like, quote unquote, cool people, you know, and here I am hanging out with, you know, octogenarians and, um, not really plugging into a lot of those same outlets. Yeah. Um, but looking back, it was just the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't change a thing because just the grit and the resilience Mm. and, you know, just those old school values Sure. Yeah. that, you know, they, they weren't really taught to me in any academic sense. They mm-hmm. were just lived out on a daily basis. And yeah. so it, it was just like a shot straight in the arm every day. And so at the time, I didn't even realize what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only like looking back that you can sometimes make sense of things and connect some of these dots. Sure. And looking back, uh, Best best thing ever, greatest blessing ever was <laughs> That's cool. w- was having those those values like taught to me firsthand like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Well, what happened uh, next along the journey? You 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 grew up there, like so that w- would would that be through like high school? We're talking or yeah. So I I literally uh, lived with my great grandmother. My great grandfather passed away when I was in ninth grade, so it mm-hmm. was just me and her mm-hmm. uh, those last few years. But I was there until I I left school mm-hmm. to to go to military school. Yeah. So you you didn't necessarily enlist. You went to a military school. Which military school did you go to? So I went to the Air Force Academy okay. in Colorado Springs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a little bit different. Uh, it's very different. Yeah. It, it, you know, it was, you know, even how that came about was sort of interesting because growing up there, there, there wasn't really any type of, uh, expectation for, uh, you know, having a career per se, it, you know, the, the sort of like the mantra was, Hey, make good grades, stay out of trouble so you can go get a job. So you can do something useful. So there was yeah. never really an expectation 
to ever go be an entrepreneur, to ever yeah. go build a business. So it was the kind of place like you did, you didn't leave. Like it, it was kind of the place yeah. that you grew up there. You, you started working there and you made your life there. Yeah. You either, you either did that or, um, you know, so, somehow you, you did escape, but you never came back. So no one ever really knew what happened to you. Yeah. You right? just disappeared off the face. You of the just earth. sort of disappeared, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and to, to, you know, to some extent, that's what I did after, mm. After high school, I've only been back uh, a few times. I was actually back last weekend, um, believe it or not, uh, to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award from my high school. How cool is that? Yeah, it, it was it was pretty cool. So, um, so now you're done with life? No, well, life's just beginning. Can you get a second one? I don't know. Um, like, what if you do something more great? And they want to honor you. I think the goal, you know, always has to be to to, to just keep learning and keep growing, <laughs> yeah. and and so the goal has to be, of course, you know, get get more of these things. But yeah, I but should yeah. Google that. I wonder if anybody's ever won a second lifetime award, achievement award. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it, it, at the very least they've received, uh, you know, an award from another, maybe another source or maybe. something, right? <laughs> yeah, but it, but it, you know, it, it, it's sorry, I, I get tangent. No, no, it, but but it, but it was kind of cool, right? Um, it's really know, it, cool. It wasn't yeah. so much. I don't look at it as as about me as much as you know. It's just an opportunity for people. Uh, young people, especially in an area where there's not a lot of hope, not a lot mm-hmm. of uh, you know amazing economic activity happening, mm-hmm. to to just sort of understand your life's what you want to make of it. Yeah. You know, there's some self determination, yeah. and if you make decisions and live them out over a period of time, mm-hmm. anybody, even a kid from a hill in West Virginia, can go on and, and make something of themselves. Yeah, and so. Um, yeah, you know, to, to me that was the cool part of That's the experience. A big deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it still happens today. Like I, I've worked with kids in inner city Nashville, and they can see about to the end of their block. That's mm-hmm. that's how far their reality goes. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, um, when they go outside of that block and they have to go to school, everything that happens on that block carries with them. You know, the, the negative and the positive and, and everything in between. Um, but their worldview can't reach beyond that. And so to come alongside of a kid and show them that there is a different reality than the one that they're currently um, involved in is is absolutely life changing. Well, and that's the way that my own life actually evolved. Right. Yeah. So I was um, I'd, I'd grown up in West Virginia, barely ever even left the state, mm-hmm. you know, aside from maybe going down into Virginia. You know, we were close to the state line and um I'd never met, never had any interaction at all with my maternal grandfather. Okay. And uh, I was at this summer camp. Uh, I was 12 years old, and he so just... So can I, can I ask, how, how yeah. did that all come to be? How did, how did you end up with your great-grandparents in the first place? Yeah, I mean, uh, long story short, um, never have met my father. Okay. Don't don't know him, never met him. Yeah. There's don't have a name, you know, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my mother, you know, she had me at a young age, uh, you know, maybe a little too young sure. and uh, a little too immature. And, and, um, my, my great grandparents, uh, they had lost a child back in like the late sixties as, mm. as, as a, an infant, mm-hmm. you know, this, their child only lived to be a few months old. And, um, you know, I just think, 
to them, it was this opportunity to to sort of raise up a young child that was in the family that they loved. Mm. And, um, you know, for my mother, it, it was a little bit of a, a way to maybe get me things that she knew she probably couldn't provide me or, or wasn't ready for. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the relationship just kind of happened that way. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So you, you were connected to your biological mother still this whole time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So she, she lived in the area and, you know, I, I would see her and, and we would interact. Oh, okay. Um, you know, it wasn't call it a deep relationship, but, sure, but right. um, you know, certainly I was aware of her and, and we, we interacted from mm-hmm. you know, time to time. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you, you travel off to Colorado, right? For the, yeah, well, well, even, you know, to rewind, even the way that, okay. that, that kind of came about, right. You, you were saying sometimes you, you know, you just don't know what's beyond the horizon. Mm. And, and so I didn't know what was beyond the horizon, right. I'm mm-hmm. just kind of, you know, growing up, Doing doing the things that the other kids are doing or trying to, uh, not really thinking very far beyond that. And um, my maternal grandfather, you know, he just happened to, I guess, have an itch to drop in and check on people. Um, yeah. It was just a little bit random. Uh, so you know, he <laughs> he stopped in and introduced himself, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I either made some impression on him or. You know, he he must have felt some level of responsibility to to get to know me. Mm-hmm. So he invited me to Colorado the oh, following wow. summer okay. for a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. And so for me, this is a huge deal. It's mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness, like I'm going to get to go out of state on this big trip. Um, you know, didn't really know what to expect, but um, you know, I expected like this is going to be fun. This is going to be interesting. And so when I was out in Colorado. It's like my eyes just opened to how big the world mm. really was, right? Yeah, that's and a beautiful place. Oh, beautiful, beautiful place. Um, but but there was economic activity happening. Mm-hmm. There were, you know, mm-hmm. where did um, you go in Colorado? Where, where was this? So he was in Colorado Springs. In Colorado Springs, okay. And and while I was there, he took me to the Air Force Academy. Oh, cool! And I watched the cadets march, mm. and uh, he said, "Hey, you know." you could be one of those cadets one day if you, if you really want to be. Mm-hmm. And, and that just blew my mind. Right. Because yeah. to me at the time that was so far out of scope, out of reach, out of possibility, mm. it would have never even registered as being plausible. Yeah. But he planted that seed. Yeah. And then from that point on, everything in my life was like ultra focused to achieving mm-hmm. this goal. It's That's like, cool. okay, what do I have to do if I reverse engineer the application process? Well, I've got to get great test scores. I've got to have good grades. I've got to be involved in all of these student clubs and activities to try to demonstrate some level of you know student leadership. I have to. You got to get a congressional appointment. Mm. Um, and what? What? How old were you when, when this trip happened? Uh, I would have been thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. And you're mentally going through all this as a 13 year old. Yeah, I I, I didn't like I how didn't to make have, that happen. I didn't have all the pieces figured out, but yeah. I but I knew okay, what whatever I'm doing now, I've got to step up my game. You know, about two or three yeah. levels. Wow, in order that's impressive. To, yeah, Gosh, he must have seen your face. I mean, something to give away your enamorment or, or, or whatever it was that you were locked in on. 
you know. Yeah, he must have he must have sensed something or or seen something or or at yeah. least been optimistic. You know, this this could work out. But he, you know, he was in the military himself. Okay. Um, you know, he was he was in the army for a number of years. Retired out of the army, and he went on to be a, a deputy sheriff there in the Colorado Springs area. So he, you know, he was familiar with the military. Okay. He lived a military lifestyle, and, and I think you know part of it was probably he just knew that. For me and my situation at the time, it was, I mean, it would have been a really good sort mm-hmm. of route to take, right? Because yeah. go to this amazing school, academically great, uh, great athletic programs, mm-hmm. uh, leadership laboratory, um, guaranteed employment as an Air Force officer after graduation where yeah. you'll, you'll get to go see the world. Uh-huh. Um, and, 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 you know, in exchange for that active duty service, there is no financial obligation. You don't leave the Air Force Academy with any kind of student debt. Mm. You leave with um, a service commitment to your country. Yeah. So, you know, if you're a poor kid growing up in West Virginia, like that's better than the lottery, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. pretty much as good as it gets is, yeah. is trying to, to make that happen. Wow. That's so. That's just so impressed me as a thirteen-year-old that you're you knew you had to step your game and you kind of had some matrix to follow. You know, like about reverse engineering what what you needed to do to get that to happen. Um, that's 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 very impressive. And it took a little while again to to sort of reverse reverse engineer and and back into that. But but it, you know, I looked at it as you know a very concrete goal with mm-hmm. very concrete inputs. And, um, you know, divide and conquer, you know, it's like, okay, well, what do I, what I have to do? There are these boxes I've got to check. I've got time. I've got to do all the right things to increase my odds in all these different categories. And, um, you know, and it worked out. Yeah. So how how does that work? So your grandfather came, went, took you on that trip. You, you kind of saw your future and came back and you started orienting your life towards that future. How, how do you get to be, how did, how did you get there? Was it, is it like an application? Do you go by a recruitment office? I mean, like what, what does it take to get there? Yeah. So, um, you, you ultimately express interest to uh, a liaison officer that, um, you know, so, sort of like a regional, um, usually like a retiree from, from oh, service okay. Okay. and, and they sort of help you put together the pieces, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's a little bit of a checklist in the sense that, you know, they meet you and they ask you some questions and I think they, they sort of just try to size you up a little bit and decide, mm-hmm. okay, do you really want to do this? Are you really going to be disciplined enough to, to commit to the application process? Mm. And um, there, there just are some dates and schedules and, and timelines, right? So there's a there's a physical fitness test. You mm-hmm. you have to pass that, yeah. and um, there's a congressional appointment. Which you know, there's a few ways you can get that. It can be your your congressman or, or congresswoman. It can be uh, a senator. Mm-hmm. You can you can even uh, appeal to the vice president of the United States. Um, uh-huh. But there's okay. only a few angles, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you so know. is that like a like is that a normal kind of thing that they deal with all the time? So like you send in your form 
and they appoint you or is there is there something going on back there? Oh yeah, so so that congressional nomination involves an entire interview process of its gotcha. own. Okay. Okay. And and so if you if you so the way the way these service academies work, their their budgets are authorized by Congress. Mm, and so mm-hmm. The academies are only authorized a certain number of total cadets mm-hmm. per year to, gotcha. to have in total capacity. Uh-huh. And so the way that breaks down is basically by congressional district. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, a state like California would have a lot more slots that they could uh, allocate to cadets than, say, West Virginia just okay. because the yeah. number of congressional districts is greater. Gotcha. Okay. So they kind of break it down, um, you know, based on just, uh, I guess, the layout of the political system in the country. Sure. But, you, yeah, you would apply. So, right, I applied uh, to both of my senators and, mm-hmm. and to my, my congressman. Um, and, and so you're, you know, you're playing parallel strategy here, you know, across three different channels because you, it's like, I I just need to get one of them, but I want to increase my odds. So you're kind of running, or I was running this in triplicate and then, you know, you get that nomination and Mm -hmm. that box is checked, but the nomination involves an interview. Mm. It involves a review of test scores. You know, they, the, the, the person that that's nominating you, um, they want to know that you're going to represent them and your state and, and your district well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, so it's, it, I mean, it, it is a big deal, like it sounds. Oh, it's a competitive process, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. It, the, you were so nonchalant about it. It was almost as if, like, yeah, I filled up that form, sent it in there. They, they signed it and sent it back. I, I was like, there's got to be more yeah, than, it, than it's the way rigorous. that this sounds right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. goodness, okay. All right, so you ended up getting it. Same, same kind of like the Citadel. Is that the same kind of thing concept, or is that different? I think it's similar, right? So you have the service academies. Um, you have you know Air Force, Navy, right. Army, Coast Guard, Merchant Marine are are usually the ones you you know you you would put in a category. But then you have you know like um, you know, VMI and Citadel okay. and, and some others. Those are not the same as though. Yeah, they're they're not. Um, they're they're privately funded or, or they're okay. funded differently. I don't know okay. the exact details, but um, the the, huh. the U.S. service academies uh, are are I think funded via a, a budget that's authorized by Congress right. out of federal yeah, yeah. tax dollars. Okay. So they don't they don't get the other ones privately funded. Okay, yeah, I didn't know how how any of those are. I've had some. Um, people that I knew that went went there, but I didn't know um, mm-hmm. about the others. So, okay. Um, well, cool. So you ended up in Colorado, mm-hmm. and and what was what was that like in the Air Force? Uh, uh, I mean, is it all school? Are you doing a lot of physical stuff? Are you doing uh, are you flying jets? I mean, like what's, so, what's so, happening there? Yeah. So the the first. Is it Four like top years. Gun? No, it's, just, it's totally different. It, but it, yeah, it's not not quite like except that. Except they fly. That's the only similarity. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> f- funny thing, right? So some some cadets their their whole lives they've been thinking about nothing but flying planes. Mm-hmm. And so some of of the people I met, you know, the first second day I was there, their lifelong dream was to go to the Air Force Academy because they wanted to become an officer to fly jets, right? Mm. That, that was like their life plan. Yeah. yeah. I had never once thought about flying a plane ever. (laughs) And and so so funny. Yeah. 
I wanted to be there because I thought, how great would it be to be surrounded by well-rounded people where you've got to go through this rigorous process, this whole person concept really has to work. You've got to be an athlete. You've got to be a scholar. You've got to be a leader. You you have to sort of um, have this sense of of civic responsibility. Um, To me, all of that, you know, as I was working through that process, became incredibly appealing. You couldn't just be smart. You couldn't Mm -hmm. just be an athlete. You couldn't just uh, wow someone with some charisma. Mm -hmm. You you really, it's it's very much like a multi-objective optimization where if, if you are the smartest person in the room and that's all you are, it's probably not going to get you in there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You have to find the right um, configuration of all those different dimensions to, to work. So for me, yeah. Uh, yeah, I run into people, their lifelong dream is, is to fly jets. And, and I thought, well, yeah, maybe that's a possibility. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, sound, sounds cool. Mm-hmm. But it, it just wasn't really on my radar in quite the same way. Wow. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah, you, you're a different bird. You know, like... All I have is charisma. Um, I would never even think about all those other things. I'd be like, "Yeah, let's party. What do we, we got going on?" You know? Well, so so you know, back to your your original question, right? So, what's it like? Um, so your 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 first year, um, well, your first you know your first six to eight weeks, you're you're in basic training. Okay. Right. So yeah. you you sh- so literally, here's how this works. You so I, I leave my house literally the morning after you know, high school graduation, right? So I graduate. That quick. Yeah, literally, I, I, I graduate and uh, as the valedictorian of my class. Yeah. So, you know, give that speech, right. go to high school, project graduation, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of like a little all-nighter kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know about those, yeah. The next morning, drive off to Colorado and about a no week. Kidding. Yeah, literally, like the next morning, I'm gone. It's crazy, yeah. And then a week later, I'm I'm showing up to the Air Force Academy for the first day of of basic training where yeah. you're you're in right, mm-hmm. and so the way that works, you get dropped off, and there are these cadets that are you know extremely cordial and polite, and you know introducing themselves, and and you know all the parents are like, oh, you know how how great yeah. this they're is. They're feeling comfortable and great about this. Yeah, yeah everything's looking good. You get on this bus, and then as soon as that bus door closes, it's like sit up straight, you know, yeah. stare in front of you, don't look around, you know, you you just immediately, yeah, it, it's it's on, it's on, yeah, it's on immediately, like just just like that. Was that a was that a weird transition? Well, you know it's coming, okay. right? Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah. You know it's coming. You know it's not going to be fun, right? You know it's not going to be enjoyable, and um, you know, looking back. That's what makes it so great. You yeah. Know? You know, um, yeah. I've heard this saying, you know, military academies, they're, they're, they're great places to be going to. They're great places to be from. They're mm. really tough to be at. And it's true. You know, it, yeah. it, you're, you're signing up for something that you know is not your typical college experience. <laughs> yeah. you, you just know that. Yeah, I think not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so your first, your first, uh, what, two months, I guess, almost is basic training. Yeah. You, you go through basic training, um, you know, kind of a standard basic training experience. Yeah. Every service academy, um, does it locally on site. You know, it's, it's 
but but it's effectively very similar to mm-hmm. what you would experience uh, if you were going through some type of um, basic training process at Lackland Air Force Base in Texas or mm. wherever the Army and, and other services do theirs. Okay. Uh, so what what happens moving forward? You you uh, do all your classes. You wrap up your time at the Air Force Academy. Then what happens next? Yeah. Well, well, the academy. Um, you know, so that's your your standard four year experience. So I, I now made, you pick your majors and stuff there, like what you're gonna your focuses is. You your do focus I. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You um, you do. So I, I majored in computer science. Okay. And uh, minored in math and Spanish. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, from an academic standpoint, it's rigorous. You know, mm-hmm. you're. I mean, I had eighteen to twenty four credit hours per semester consistently for wow. all eight of those semesters. Yeah. Um, because, you know, to squeeze in those two minors, you know, there's just a little bit of extra coursework you have to do. Uh, so academically, you're you're pretty much strapped. Mm-hmm. You know, athletically, um, you, you are required to participate in intramurals or sports. There's sort of a system of credits. Mm-hmm. You know, gym class even, by the way, I mean, is like a serious thing. Like, yeah. gym, it's it's not like you go and play in gym class. Like, y- you might be a pretty good athlete, and you go and you do a pretty good job in gym class, and, and you might get a C plus or a B minus because you have like varsity athletes in your gym class, and it's graded on a curve. Yeah. And if you don't have the perfect swim stroke, or you know, if you can't, you know, spike the volleyball perfectly, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're you're just not going to get the A, right? So, huh, so gym wow. classes are cutthroat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, believe it or not, I you've got it. these military leadership credits you have to collect, um, and a and a big chunk of that that I did. So your your first summer, you you kind of have this decision you get to make. So, you know, you go through your your two semesters, and then in the summer, the summer's broken up into three blocks, and so one of those blocks you take is your your break. So you go home or do whatever you want to do. The other two, um, you're you're participating in, uh, you know, a fairly limited number of options for some type of leadership program. So, mm. you know, um, the the first summer, the big decision you kind of make is, do I want to jump out of planes and earn a jump badge, or do I want to learn how to fly a glider and try to solo in the glider? Okay. So my first summer, wanted to jump out of planes, earn the jump badge. And then ultimately, a very small number of people uh, can get selected to become an instructor. Mm-hmm. So not only can you earn your badge, but you know if you're if you're really fortunate, you can go through this interview process, and you know uh, it's kind of rigorous. But but you you then get to be uh, trained to be a free fall parachute instructor, and. Um, that was, you know, so so that's called the the parachute team wings of blue, and so when you do that, you ultimately yeah. are are basically um, a collegiate skydiver. You get to train to jump into air shows. Um, you can compete. Really? Um, there's there's you know collegiate skydiving as a sport. Yeah. You can you can compete in. So you'd be someone that jumps out of the plane with the people training to learn how to do that, and you would be guiding them. So when you or helping them or like what what's the what's the practical 
not the competition side, but the, mm-hmm. the practical side, like what are you doing as an instructor? Yeah, as an instructor, you, you are, you are <clears throat> taking a group of cadets and you are training them from start to finish, like mm. literally every step of the way gotcha. okay. to jump out of a plane and, and pull the ripcord and save their own lives. Mm-hmm. So, so you, I mean, it is, it is sort of like the purest kind of leadership you could ever imagine, right? Can, can you trust me enough that you believe you've got what it takes to jump out of this plane and pull that ripcord? And if anything goes wrong... Have I trained you well enough that you know what to do to the point that it's just muscle memory at that point? Mm. So, so it's it's a leadership yeah. experience yeah. in in the purest sense. Huh. That's what. So, are there are there? Okay. So, I don't know anything about anything, um, but people who skydive nowadays, you know, you want to go do skydiving, you can go to Telehome around here or something, and and go skydiving, and someone's. You're strapped to a human mm-hmm. who is really doing it. You're just along for the ride. Yeah. It, is, that, is that the kind of progression that happens in what you're doing, or you start out and you, it's survival kind of? Yeah. So, what, in you're, some ways. what you're describing, so if you go and you just want to you know, jump out of a plane, um, what you described is a tandem jump. Yeah. So, you, you need virtually no training. You, you just go get strapped, jump mm-hmm. out, experience it, you know, have a lot of fun. So to, to earn the military jump badge at the Air Force Academy, you have to do five free fall jumps, mm-hmm. which means, you know, you, you put on the parachute, you, you fly up, mm-hmm. you have to exit the plane. And so do you at any point do like a tandem thing to start no, out with? No. no. Your first experience jumping out of a plane is you're on your own. That's right. And there's... I guess people around you, maybe yes. in the air. What? Um, no, going with you. No, no. You're just there. L- literally, you and about a dozen other people get in the plane. You kidding with me? Your, no, with with your jump master instructor, you go to altitude, uh, something like forty five hundred feet. As and I they've recall. taught you everything, and you've practiced it on the ground. I mean, you, you have practiced it to where you can do it in your sleep. I mean, okay. in 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 a hangar. You put on a harness, you get hoisted up, you know, four or five feet in the air. And, and I mean, you're jarred around and you're spun around. And, and, and I mean, there's like a verbal simulation of oh, okay. all the different okay. things that could go wrong. Yeah. All the emergency procedures. Oh, so, so, I mean, it, it, it really is the case that, you know, a responsible instructor would, would actually not let you go unless they believed you could save your own life. Mm-hmm. Plus there's a couple of checkpoints, you know, you, you have to pass a couple of the, uh, the ground simulations, okay. w- which okay. are pretty rigorous. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so I mean, you know, like anything in the military, it's, it's very well rehearsed, very yeah, well yeah, practiced, yeah. but you're still, your first jump is you're on your own. You, you are on your own. And so I, I'm yeah. not, I'm not even aware <laughs> at the time and it may still be the case, but at the time, you know, this is this is back in the early 2000s. It was the only program in the world where your first jump is a free fall solo jump, right? Like uh, it, it's it's that unique of an experience. Yeah. So how long time wise do you free fall before you you you, you start the process? It, assuming the first you know cord and parachute opens up or whatever, like how R- long would that? Roughly ten seconds. Ten seconds. How long does it feel? Um, well, here's the thing: you're you're those first jumps, right? You're you're trained so well 
that you you're you're not really I don't think you really have a sense for time, right? So oh. so the way the way it works, you're trained to exit the plane a very particular way mm. and you're trained to verbally state um, you know, a sequence of of instructions, right? So okay. you, you jump okay. out of the plane, you know, you're in this arched position and and you're literally saying arch thousand, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand and you work through the procedure and then oh. it's and then, you know, you, you ultimately end it with, you know, pulling the rip cord. And so you've practiced that so many times and it's been um locked into, you know, an actual um chronological mm-hmm. amount of time. Mm-hmm. So you're not really there's no discretion, right? Okay. There's no discretion in like, hmm, does it feel like it's time to pull? No, yeah. you're I mean you're you're not able to think about anything other than oh my gosh you know arch thousand two thousand yeah. three thousand you're, you're dialed in you're, you're yeah. dialed in right there it's mechanical so yeah. do you have different like if you do you always jump at a certain height altitude or so, does so, it vary and then your numbers vary and you know what well, going well, for, into that, the for those five jumps you're it, it's Same all one. standard yeah, yeah. it's all standard now after those five jumps um, you're either done or you upgrade and become an instructor. But to become an instructor, you have to spend a whole year in instructor training. Mm-hmm. Now, in instructor training, you do all sorts of interesting things, right? So you jump out at different altitudes. You mm-hmm. learn how to do turns and flips and uh, different um, configurations with, with other skydivers mm-hmm. in the air because ultimately you have to show that you are in complete and full control of your own body mm-hmm. and you're, yeah. you're, you're in control at terminal velocity. Wow. Right. And, yeah. and so if you imagine you're, you're sort of falling at terminal velocity, something as simple as dropping your hand or chicken winging your elbow completely changes the aerodynamics of what's happening. And you'll, mm. you'll start spiraling or you'll, um, you, you'll potentially lose control of, of what's going on. So you have really? to learn yeah. that level of control. Yeah. Huh. That's a, that's just fascinating. Wow. So, so do, do you ever get like, do they intentionally like mess with your um, stuff so that you can experience like, uh, and have to overcome something like your, like, do you have two shoots like that, that are packed in your back? So like, do they, rig the first one to not go off on some so you can get the experience of, oh, okay, well, I just got to do this next. And, or does any of that kind of happen, you know, like, or not, and I'm just thinking like in terms of like, sometimes I've done training before, um, for, for different things and, and you have to be ready for something to malfunction. Mm-hmm. And so the instructor or whoever's leading it will intentionally have some, um, malfunction set up mm-hmm. so that you can experience that in real time to know how to react. So to an extent, so when you're upgrading as an instructor on the ground, th- there's a lot of stuff that, that is sort of thrown gotcha. your way okay. because so much of the safety is all about how, uh, you know, how you put on your parachute, mm-hmm. um, whether it's configured the way it needs to be configured, mm-hmm. whether, um, you know, certain devices that are in the parachute to to deploy that reserve chute mm-hmm. are turned on or not configured okay. properly. 
So when you're when you're in your upgrade training to become an instructor, there, there's just a lot of shenanigans that happen sure. because you you as the instructor in training need to develop an eye for this stuff. You yeah, need to be able yeah. to see it, right? So, so there's hopefully stop it before it happens. Yeah, there, there's there's very specific inspections you have to be able to do quickly and intuitively uh, and thoroughly for every person that you're putting in that plane. Gotcha. Um, it, you know, it, it's not simulated to the extent that, say, your primary chute is rigged to fail. Right? Okay. That would that would be like too much. Um, but in general, uh, up until the point that someone is going to exit the aircraft, there's there's all sorts of simulations, right? Anything that's ever gone wrong historically, you're probably going to encounter oh, as part yeah. of a simulation. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 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 I love that you use shenanigans, by the way. Yeah, it's a good Fantastic. word. I love that word. All right. So um, so you you become a, a trainer on there, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, any anything else that at, in your experience there that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's really, uh, you know, it's hard to summarize, right? But yeah. um, yeah, it, I mean, it was. <laughs> I'm sure it's like, that's like asking like some easy, I, I get asked questions all the time that, that I get overwhelmed with the answers. Like I'm like. Well, there's one million and a half answers that yeah. I could give you, but like, would you really, you know, come on again? So it was a terrible question I asked you. Sorry, but no. But in 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 general, you know, the highlights were yeah, I, I yeah. majored in computer science, which by most accounts is the hardest major at at the Air Force Academy you okay. know, in terms of has the highest dropout rate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like in terms of dropout rate, like like what does that what does that mean? Like for an average class. How how many people would go through that program and I mean, drop out? I I think something like so. If you're talking about the major, I think something like thirty percent typically yeah. make it through, or or that that was somewhere around the yeah. you know the figure at the so time. Somewhere, you know, being nice, sixty to seventy five percent drop out. So, something like that. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, do you remember? Do you still practice your Spanish? I do. Yeah, I mean a little bit. Yeah. I don't. I don't have any uh, Spanish-speaking friends where we just regularly that's, converse. But that's uh, my biggest regret over school. I, I wrote a book, or I've written some books, and in in Spanish. Well, so um, some of the books have been translated into oh, Spanish. Wow! And so I was invited to uh, a conference for journalism down in Quito, Ecuador, a few years back. That's cool. And so I did part of my presentation to this this group of Spanish-speaking Latin American journalists mm-hmm. in Spanish. Oh, God, I'm so jealous. I took like two or three years in high school and the same in college. I went to a liberal arts college. We had to have a, a language to graduate and took Spanish again. Barely made it by. I'm fairly certain the doctor who had the class just appreciated me in life and like got me through. Like I don't, I don't know that I earned anything that she gave me in that class. Is she a subscriber to your podcast? I don't know, but she should. Her, uh, yeah, she was fantastic. Her, her name was Doc Martin. I doubt she listens to it. I don't know. Um, but I remember that name just because I always wondered if she wore them. Mm-hmm. And she never wore Doc mm-hmm. Martins when she came into class, which I thought was very disappointing. Um, but anyways, uh, but yeah, that's. Biggest regret from college is not remembering or use. It really is just using. It's not so much remembering. I mean, I, I kind of when when people are, are talking, I, I I go to Plaza Mariachi every week, which here in town is mm-hmm. um, is kind of supportive of the the Hispanic Family Foundation. Yeah, yeah the, it's a great the, spot. Yeah, great place. Love and, it. And so I I work there once a week, just doing some work at, at the 
food court there before mm-hmm. it all opens in them. And I'm always just like, I hear people, you know, that are speaking Spanish and I, and I can pick up things. Um, but as far as like turning around and saying something, mm-hmm. I, one, I'm not confident enough to do that. But, but, but two, I just, I just can't get there and I, and I hate, and I'm just like, oh, I'm, why didn't I just learn? Why didn't I, can't, I can't remember. Why didn't I use it? You know, yeah. and it's so frustrating. So well done. I, yeah, I, Biggest regret. Well, there's there's this common thread I think in, in even in my life with language, right? So you know, in 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 high school, I I learned to play music, right? Mm. So learning music, you're learning to read yeah. a language and and act on a language. Um, you know, computer programming, you're, yeah, that is a language. I don't understand any of that language. <laughs> it's, it's a whole different sort of language, but it's a language. Um, you oh, know, and then of yeah. course spoken language. You know, it's a language, and so. Uh, yeah, there are these patterns in in life where there are these, you know, I think common sets of skills mm-hmm. to some extent. Sure, at least with with reading languages, I think there are. Yeah, um, I think you know speaking uh, obviously is involves a different set of skills, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um, you know, reading music, reading computer code, reading uh, a foreign text, mm. yeah, um, different than than say listening to someone mm-hmm. speaking in a foreign language, right? Different yeah. parts yeah, of the yeah. brain are, are working there. But I mean, it's definitely a, a skill-based issue. Like, if it's something you've learned and you don't use it, you lose it. You know, people say, you know, you never, you always remember how to ride a bike or whatever like that. But, you know, I've had friends that mm-hmm. have spent zero time on a bike. They got on a bike that fell over, you know, and you're mm-hmm. like, eh, maybe that's not true, you know? <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, it's just like anything with music. I feel like you know, if you if you're not using that, you can you can get back into it, but mm-hmm. you're super rusty. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, like I played uh, drums on um, Sunday. I, I sat in and I hadn't picked up a drumstick in probably two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Like not even picked one up. Like they're set up in my house. Like just hadn't picked one up, and it was just so awkward and. Where something that was so fluid and nice before it was completely awkward and. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the same kind of thing. You know, you use it, you know, you use it, you, you lose that, that feeling. All right. So, uh, computer science, you speak, uh, 1 million languages and then, uh, <laughs> or at least four big ones. Um, what, what, what did you do after that? You, you had, you said, uh, part of that was a service debt. Um, yeah. right. Like, so you graduate and you're, um, you, you have to participate in some way. What, what did, how did you act out your service debt? Yeah, so after Air Force Academy, uh, you you take this this little break. You know, you get you, you sort of build up this leave time that you're you're more or less legally obligated to use because okay. while you're a cadet, you're 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 accruing certain military benefits. You know, oh, you're, okay. you're yeah. in the military, right? Uh-huh. You're just in this special category. Uh, so you, so you get to take this amazing leave. Um, so I I was. You know, married to my wife now of sixteen years. Yeah, um, where'd she come into this then? Like, uh, we went to high school together. Okay. Yeah. So you guys were letter mates during that time. I mean, like, yeah, did... yeah, we, we, yeah, we we stayed in touch and and visited during breaks and. Um, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Long distance relationship. Yeah, long distance relationship. That's impressive. So, how old were you when you started dating? Was it in high school uh, I, yeah, you started dating? Yeah, so it was toward the latter part of high school. Okay, so okay. so yeah, I would have been you know call it uh, sixteen and a half, seventeen, something yeah. like that. And what was she doing during this time? Uh, so she she uh, she was a year behind me. So okay. she finished high school and then and then she went to Virginia Tech. Okay, yeah, cool. 
wow, that's, a, that's so cool. And you guys just stayed in contact. Yeah. And so then you had a long break, so you decided to get married? Is that- yeah, you know, we, we it been 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 in the works, but I got uh, some time. Wait, let's do it. Yeah, you yeah. know, it, it was it was it was the right time. Uh so yeah, we got married and uh my my next assignment was to to go to Wright Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. Okay. Um and do a master's thesis for Air Force Research Labs. Woof. Wow. Um you know, which was which is a really cool experience, right? Mm-hmm. I got to earn a a master's in computer science and got to support real research going on for wow. the operational air force. Yeah, uh, which, which is just really unique, right? Think, think of all the degrees, um, you know, the, the 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 thesis work that goes into um, you know universities mm-hmm. that you know maybe it supports something, maybe it doesn't. Like th- this right. was really interesting because you knew who your customer was, mm-hmm. you knew that they were basically sponsoring you and counting on you to advance something hmm. that was on their agenda. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just a very sort of operational mentality about it. It, it was academic, of course, but mm-hmm. it was uh, very sort of operationally oriented in yeah. being academic. That's cool. All right. Um, so how long, how long was that? How long did that take? So, so that I, so I finished that in 18 months. So that, that was, that seems quick. It's a little bit of an accelerated (laughs) program. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So is she, is she living with you there? Yes. In in Ohio? Okay. So, so yeah, she was there. Okay. What did she get her degree in? Did she graduate from Virginia Tech or? So she studied uh, nutrition at Virginia Tech. Yeah. And so she's always sort of been into that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so, and was this already part of like your service? Like this was your enlistment was getting your master's as well. Like, is it the the way? Yeah, there's some technicalities and all this, but it, it does sure. run concurrent with okay. with your service commitment. Yeah, um, I don't know if you like got some taken off, but then you tacked on more because of what was happening. Like, yeah, there, there's a formula weird, that, right. that more or less <laughs> yeah. works out that way. Yeah, right? okay, cool. So, so yeah, did did that right? So I. You know, had finished my um, CS major at the Air Force Academy. Went on to uh, the Air Force Institute of Technology there, in, you know, outside of Dayton at Wright Patterson. Uh, did my master's, and um, you know, at the time, it, drones and UAVs were, you know, were not really a thing yet. You know, they okay. we were talking about them. Yeah, this would have been two thousand three to two thousand five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the work that I did there was basically how would you simulate a swarm of very small UAVs to behave like flocks of birds in the sense that no one interesting no one UAV is in charge. It's a very decentralized system. Mm-hmm. And then how would you optimize sorties? So that these UAVs could cover certain waypoints. So imagine UAVs. Some have infrared sensors. Some have cameras. Some mm-hmm. have, um, you know, in, any other type of sensor, right? You know, yeah. m- machine guns, whatever. How would you how would you optimize sorties so that you you could deploy this fleet of very small UAVs to accomplish a mission? Yeah. So that was that was sort of the nature of. Of what I studied, and, yeah. and it's just cool to look at at where drones and UAVs have gone in, mm-hmm. in the past decade and a half, 
that that stuff's really happening now and yeah. you know you can you can read about it in the news yeah and it was all stuff that you started initializing and studying then yeah i, I was studying it and and and, huh. and again like i I don't think anything that's happening was was because of me, but I, I was at least contributing to. Yeah, you, you played a part in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. tiny yeah. little sliver of, of research. Yeah. You were one of those drones in the air. You had your piece. You were. You were I, at least, I at least simulated one. You that's know? right. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So, yeah, that's so incredible. Yeah, I can't. Just the the imagery in that that you described it as. Uh, like a flock of birds flying through. Well, when you so, so like that, that's got me in my head. Just how how cool would that one? How cool and like I can't imagine the back end of how to control all of that without anybody touching each other. And, and but like that would be an a scary situation. You know, you think about like uh, Alfred Hitchcock, the birds. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, but but to have you know. Drones doing that and like coming through and each contributing in their own their way and you couldn't necessarily pick up like that's intimidating right there. Well, so so that's that's the interesting part of it, right? It's it's decentralized and so when when you look at nature, so mm-hmm. here here's so I don't think we touched on it, but most of my research has been in the machine learning and the artificial intelligence space, mm-hmm. and so much of that space. Is inspired the, the research space is inspired by what we see in nature. Yeah, and so when you look at nature, you do see flocks of birds, hundreds, even thousands, and they're all flying. They're all headed in a direction. Mm-hmm. There's clearly an agenda of some kind, but mm-hmm. but no one is in charge. Mm-hmm. If you look at schools of fish. You see similar behavior. Yeah. If you look at herds of, of buffalo, right? I was in South Africa on a safari, an amazing vacation last mm. month. Yeah. Um, and, and when you see these animals in their natural habitat doing what they do, it, it's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we were trying to do is, is say, okay, based on what we see in nature, like like how would you simulate that right mm-hmm. because because if if one drone is in charge well now you just have to knock that one drone out yeah, yeah. but if no drone is in charge mm-hmm. well now you've got to knock every one of them out of the air it's a whole worse situation yeah <laughs> yeah for yeah. for the other person you know or or the other group or whatever you know but that's, but this decentralized yeah. behavior, like you'll see now that we're talking about it, you, you'll notice it everywhere, right? Even yeah. even colonies of ants, right? The way colonies sure. of ants work, uh, they leave these little trails of pheromones behind, mm-hmm. and the reason why you'll see these perfect little lines of of ants kind of working in in a very optimized way to get from say point A to point B, like mm-hmm. the colony to some source of food. It's really interesting if you watch it, even a simulation of it from start to finish, you'll see that one ant kind of somehow stumbles upon the right path. Mm-hmm. But because that first ant has left a little bit of pheromone along the way, mm-hmm. another ant is now slightly more likely to follow a similar path. Mm-hmm. And with that extra pheromone that's now strengthened the trail, now a third ant is yep. that much more likely and if you play that simulation mm-hmm. out over mm-hmm. hundreds or thousands of time steps, yeah. now you've got this really Very optimized. Distinct. 
Yeah. Yeah, like in the literature, if anyone's interested in, in sort of checking this out, just search for evolutionary computation. There's mm. like a whole school of thought and literature. Yeah. Um, you can find some simulations of this stuff and just watch them on your computer. It's, huh. it's neat. That's really wild. So AI, are we ready to jump into that boat? Or, yeah, it, or well, am I too early? Am no, I too early I for mean, this? Because I've seen a lot of movies. Well, so I, I, <laughs> I would say, I, yeah, I mean, if, if we want to jump into that, so I, I would just say, you know, I finished. I mean, finish just a little up. bit. I'm not, I'm not smart like you, but, but no, you know. no, but, but I mean, um, you know, that's sort of where, where my story goes as well, right? I, I finish up, um, you know, my, my master's thesis in this space. And then I, I go on to do active duty service at Andrews Air Force Base and mm-hmm. Bowling Air Force Base um, in Washington, D.C. area, yeah. um, you know, sort of supporting communications and intelligence programs mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And um, and all and this has to do, you're focusing on AI and, and things of that, that sort, artificial intelligence. You or, know, not honestly, here's, here's the, the staggering thing, like sort of. Okay. You know, sort of. So as a young Air Force officer, you you really get put wherever the Air Force is. Yeah, they you. tell you. Yeah. And you you actually may not work on anything related to anything you've studied. Oh, geez, you you yeah. get you get sort of coded with what's called an AFSC, an Air Force specialty code. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me that was being a communications officer because okay. if, if you study computer science, you're I wouldn't say you're pigeonholed into that, but there there's some type of bearing that 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 plays. And so at Andrews Air Force Base, um, you know, I was working on some programs that that supported Air Force One. So if you look at what Andrews Air Force Base does, Mm -hmm. do a Mm -hmm. lot of things, but but a a key part of the mission there is is supporting Air Force One, Marine One, basically whenever the president or vice president or uh, high-profile government officials need to get in or out of the area, you know, a lot of that traffic goes through Andrews Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the programs there are supporting the avionics and the communications and, and all the telemetry that are on those planes. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's a whole lot going on behind the scenes there than getting a plane and flying and just making sure there's like protective jets. Like there's a whole lot of like science and computer science going on around there, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I mean, it, 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 I mean, it is as complex as anything else in the world. And, you know, case in point, um, you know, so think about situation like 9-11 when all of the, the sort of satellites that handle cellular communication get jammed up. Mm. What then? What's yeah. the backup system? What's the backup to the backup system? How does that work? Ham radio. That's what everybody says. Well, you, there's only so much, so many options, right? Yeah, like, yeah. But, but UHF radio, you know, is certainly an option on the table, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. and you say, okay, great. Well, you know, if you have planes flying around in the air, well, yeah, how do they communicate back mm-hmm. to the ground? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so that was sort of the space that, that, that we were working in yeah. at, at Andrews Air Force Base. And then um, at the Defense Intelligence Agency at Bowling, Mm. You know, it's a massive organization working on a lot of different things, but wow. a lot of my work there was uh, kind of looking ahead uh, a little, in a little bit of a visionary kind of futuristic role, doing research on the way the Internet and the web was going to evolve. 
Okay. So if you go back to, you know, say pre two thousand ten, you know, mid two uh, thousands there, it, it wasn't. It, the web was a lot different. Mm-hmm. It, it was we didn't have like amazing responsive web applications. You know, yeah. very kind of form based experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, experiences were just getting responsive where it felt it was starting to to maybe almost seem like a little bit more of a single page application experience mm-hmm. where you'd open up a web browser and it would it, it would almost seem like a bit of a desktop experience mm-hmm. right so the web was trying to to catch up at the time mm-hmm. and it, but it wasn't obvious exactly how that was going to happen how soon it was going to happen how security would work uh, mm-hmm. You know, there are all these open questions, right? And yeah. so, organizations like the Defense Intelligence Agency that are that are literally spending, you know, millions, mm-hmm. tens, hundreds of millions of dollars on uh, technology, you know, to defense contractors and, and vendors, yeah, they have to have policy that helps them to shape some of these decisions. Oh, and, and so, that was part of what I was working on was yeah. was doing research to inform some of that policy. Uh, to help yeah. to help these decision makers yeah. make yeah. the best decisions they could. That seems near impossible. You know, I mean, like I'm sure you get things right, but I'm sure there's a lot of wrong out there. You know, especially during that time in what the internet was doing and and how it was developing and the pace that it was fixing to increase by exponentially yeah. over year after year after year. You know, it's yeah. just yeah. I mean, this is pre Chrome, right? This is yeah. in this era. You pretty much have Internet Explorer, mm-hmm. you know, version five and six as, yeah. as like the standard. Um, what JavaScript and mm-hmm. you know the sort of the development <laughs> environment would have been like at the time was you know just unbelievably primitive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it's kind of like the equivalent of you know an electronic newspaper or magazine. Like you're pulling stuff up, you're reading it. You're not really interacting with it. It's data on there, you know. Um, it 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 blows my mind. So okay, so internet progresses. The thing that people always say is the the driver on the internet is the, like the porn industry. So was that a thing that was was that a real thing? Like for people who are researching the progression of it, um, like we hear that with like I don't know online videos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like we have this because there's this billion dollar industry out there that's on there, the porn industry that's really you know kind of moving that. Was that is that a real progression? Is that a real statement, in your opinion, who studied this? Kind of how you know, I, I think there's a lot of truth in the observation, right? So I think that, you know, ultimately, you know, let, let, let's, let's step back for a minute. You know, the purpose of technology is to do work for humans, mm-hmm. you know, to create an experience, to enhance an experience, to, to, to ultimately make people's lives better, right? Technology yeah. for its own sake is kind of like, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's not really even a valid concept, right? Unless you, you're just into the intellectualism of it. Mm. So you think about, you know, any given industry and um, what what the needs are of the consumers in that industry and, you know, supply and demand curves. Okay. And then the basic economics you know, I think are going to work out over time. So if you mm-hmm. have literally millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people that all want to stream video 
and generally speaking, there might be peak times of day where more video streams than other times. Mm-hmm. There may or may not be um, you know privacy concerns involved. You know, you can you can layer in a lot of other considerations. You know, okay. as to, to what yeah. what consumers of any given industry may want. Um, but if there's demand that's strong enough, like if you put on your economist hat, it makes sense that supply will follow the demand, right? Follow the money. If, if sure. there's enough money driving something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and so I think there's a lot of truth in the observation that if there's demand for video yeah. to be streamed, um, as as something like a commodity service, mm-hmm. the the supply will will sort of catch up. Now, I I think you know I I, I would want to double check this, but but I'm I'm fairly certain that the precursors to YouTube were a lot farther along mm-hmm. than the porn industry at the time. Okay. Yeah, but that industry was clearly trying to catch up yeah. because yeah. the demand was there, and they see that video streaming is a thing and yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, big hardware vendors and software vendors are investing in the space. So, yeah. so there's certainly this, that makes sense. So it's not necessarily, it's kind of a false thing, but not really, you know, kind yeah. of, you know, they're just people who are taking advantage of, of an industry to make more money. But, um, at the same time, it's really probably other vendors that are selling, because they're entrepreneurs and they want to make money in that industry kind of thing, right? Like it's not necessarily an industry driven as much as this is where their money is. And so let's help them get, yeah, I, you know, it, us all get more. It, 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 it's just so hard to say. Like yeah. I, I, I see that I, I see that the supply and demand of it does correlate. I, I almost think it's a little bit of a, kind of like a false legend that the porn industry really drives yeah, yeah. innovation to the extent that, that maybe maybe some people think it does. Like sure. I, I don't think I could prove that, but I think that um, – but there is some truth in it, yeah. right? Because it, it, it makes sense that supply yeah. and demand curves would, yeah. would I, equalize. I mean, I'm glad to ask because that's, that's always been something that people say. Yeah. You know, and, and I wondered from someone who was actually looking at that – you know, from that perspective. So that was fascinating. Thank you. Um, all right. So are we, are we at the, the artificial intelligence yet? I'm really fascinated by this. Yeah. Well, well, let me, let me jump into that. So, um, as an air force officer, I was living in Washington, DC. Yeah. Ultimately, um, moved to Tennessee. It would be about 13 years ago. And so, uh, okay, that seems weird. Why would you do that? Well, because I I joined an early stage company that was building Ah. artificial intelligence software. Okay, okay. Yeah. You you were like, yeah, so we moved there. And I was like, no one does that. I mean, people do nowadays, I guess, but like then, I don't know. Yeah. I've heard at least, this is a, a slight tangent, but this week specifically, over the last seven days, no less than five people that I've met, um, Two of which from California, which is weird, but that it would be that common. But um, all of them said, I came here once on a trip, fell in love with the place, and decided I want to move here. That's an incredible level of spontaneity. Isn't it? Like that, to have that many interactions with people in the last seven days. Yeah. It's crazy. 
Yeah. And I'm like, what in the world? How do you do that? Like, just, yeah, we'll yeah, go. If, if you look at my Strengths Finder, you know, I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. done Strengths Finder. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of these tests. I think Strengths Finder is the best, like, by far. You know, like, my top two qualities are analytical and deliberative, right? Mm. Like, for me yeah. to go yeah. somewhere one time. <laughs> now, now, I will say, you know, I took this trip to Africa, and you wouldn't have to try really hard to get me to want to go to live in Africa. Really? Like, like just the most epic trip of, of my life, the most epic adventure of my life uh, was, was this trip to Africa. But, you know, in terms of just, I took a business trip somewhere mm-hmm. and, and I thought it was a cool place, so, so I'm going to move there. Man, I, I would map that out 23 different ways. And, and you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I would have independent sort of realtors all working in parallel, looking uh-huh. at, at real estate. You know, it would be a so big ordeal. Yeah. All right, so this company that you moved here to be a part of, yep. study, studying AI or working on AI? What? Yeah, so um, I'd gotten to know the founder of this company um, while I was, was in active duty service. Mm-hmm. I'd done some writing and, and published some things that, that sort of broached into the AI realm. Okay. Um, uh, actually, were, they were about neural networks. You may have heard of... Artificial neural networks, deep learning. It's it's this it's this um, sort of approach that that uh, going back to inspiration from biology, you know, let's let's take the basic pattern for how we think the neurons in the brain fire, mm. and let's try to simulate that in software wow. in a way that we can give it some input, have some output that's a target, mm-hmm. and try to get it to to predict output from input yeah and then hopefully if if we give it examples and and we generalize it and regularize it properly and and figure it all out Mm -hmm. hopefully we can give it something it's never seen before and get it to predict that thing you know with some level of accuracy that's that's acceptable right so i was i'd written some articles on this topic um and the founder of this company had consumed some of my writing and we just kind of built a relationship, but I was an air force officer and it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm committed and, you know, um, let's stay in touch. Let's talk. Right. But then, you know, when I had the opportunity to start looking at private sector work, we got back in touch Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, one thing led to another and, uh, moved to Tennessee to, to lead research for the company. That's really cool. So we like, what what does it mean when you say AI? I realize it means artificial intelligence, um, but for those of us who are thinking like Terminator or um, Wally, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. I don't know where the spectrum is. I mean, that, that's probably a pretty wide one right there. Um, like, what what does that mean for us right now? Like, yeah, I mean, let, let's just let's just kind of break it down. Um, yeah, let, let's. Let's just say, well, what, what does learning mean? And let me build up the layers for you. So learning is, is like an abstract pattern in and of itself, right? So mm. if you are going to learn something, it should be the case that with more experience via samples of data, via data points, your observations or facts and figures you can consume, whatever the case may mm-hmm. be, the more of that the more of that experience you consume the better you should be able to start predicting within that domain right okay. 
So think about how a, a child learns to read, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they learn how to start sounding out letters, mm-hmm. and they learn how to maybe say some words. Mm-hmm. But you should eventually be able to give them a word that they've never even seen, and they can probably sound it out mm-hmm. and say right. it. Right, yeah, sure. So mm-hmm. it's like you're, you're, you're sort of learning the fundamentals, you know, these building blocks so that you can generalize and then ultimately predict and, and, and solve a problem that you've never actually seen before, mm-hmm. but, but you've sort of gotten enough experience that, that you can do that with some efficacy, right? right? So that's just learning in general, right? Like mm-hmm. whether it's a child, whether it's you or me. And so when you hear machine learning, what that means is, well, let's teach a machine to do that. Let's give a machine a lot of inputs, Typically, they're going to be encoded as numbers okay. or, um, you know, could, could be words, could be other types of features. But ultimately, these things boil down to numbers uh, via mappings. And let's, let's try to get this machine to predict something meaningful, mm. right? So, um, you know, it could be literally anything you can think of, right? So, um, you know, let's imagine that you get a text message uh, from your bank that says, hey, we, we think there may be fraudulent activity on your card, mm-hmm. uh, you know, text back to, to confirm if you did or didn't make this purchase, right? So when I'm in South Africa last month, I get some of these text messages. <laughs> well, how did the bank, was there a human like just sitting there watching my account? Is there a human yes. watching everybody's <laughs> account? Yeah. So, so it's like we know, okay, we need a machine to do this because mm. the scalability of it doesn't work with humans. Yeah. So how did the bank do this, right? So they look at account activity for mm-hmm. someone like me. They take into account, you know, time, place, regularity, uh, amounts, mm-hmm. you know, that they, they say, okay, well, you know, here are all of these transactions that Matthew has made over some period of time. Mm-hmm. And we're going to say that the ones that we know about here are not fraudulent. He hasn't called us. He hasn't right. told us anything. You know, let's assume this is good. Mm-hmm. So now the bank's looking for an anomaly. They're looking right. for something they've never seen before. And so when they see a charge show up from South Africa, they're like, eh, that's 8,000 miles from where <laughs> basically all of his transactions have been happening. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, some, something might be up. Yeah, there's an anomaly. Right, so, so they've, they've taught a computer model, a pattern that says this is normal. Mm-hmm. And now, if, if you see anything that doesn't fit that pattern, we're going to call that an exception. Yeah. So that would be an example of machine learning, right? And then they have an automation that they do to yep. react to that. Yep. So does that, does that learning nowadays, and this is, this is my stupidity, but like, does that learning progress within those systems right now? Like the bank? Like, so if you, uh, you know, regularly started purchasing in Kentucky, you know, and, yeah. and it was like, oh, we'll let that one pass. But then you, you bought a couple more things in Kentucky in conjunction with Tennessee. Yeah. And, and it just goes, okay, I just got to widen my parameters a little bit more. Like, yeah, it, it uh, learns that. I mean, a good model should, right? So, so every bank's going to do it a little bit differently or, yeah. or every every implementation of, you know, a, a model that's going to, say, perform anomaly detection. Man, th- there are so many dimensions to the problem that you could yeah. consider 
So, so it's not there, there's not like one right way and one wrong way to do it. But I would say the best models, mm-hmm. back to what is learning, the best models do generalize well with more experience. Wow. And, and and so this is important because back to your original question, you know, Terminator, right? Yeah. What, what, what's you know? I just say, what's the closest thing you've you've seen in the world that that would give you? Uh, confidence or lack of confidence that computers could behave like a human and, and Amazon. Sort of, you know, pass them off for human. So what? So what about Amazon? <laughs> right. So, so Amazon would would be like I think a great example of machine learning. I think it listens to me all the time. Yeah, there. Uh, you know, there, there, there's. You didn't dismiss that as quickly as I'd really wished you did. No, it doesn't do that. I'm just saying there's been several times I've had a conversation with somebody about an item. Yeah. And then sure enough, when I go to my desktop, that ad is on my computer. You know, I've I've heard this from so many people, right? And yes. and, and like the way I look at things, um <laughs> I it, it's one of these things, right? I can't prove it and I can't disprove it, right? Like, like, um, I wish you could disprove it. Just be like, no, that's not a thing. But, but, but I mean, we, but, but we know just from a few years ago that, uh, you know, it, it was possible for the government to, to basically snoop on lots and lots and lots of web traffic that we thought sure. was encrypted. Right. So on the one hand, we know that it's like within the realm of possibility that someone could be consuming all of this signal that you know is 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 sort of like being um, transmitted over the internet, yeah. siphoned yeah. off by government organizations like the NSA. You know, on the other hand, I think we know from terms of service, which, which most people never read, but if you read terms of service, especially nowadays, they're they're pretty specific about how companies do and don't and can and can't use your data and really? and, and, yeah. and they're supposed to be legally binding and, and so you know an interesting exercise would be to to look at the terms of service for something like Alexa mm-hmm. and 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 just see if there's anything in there that yeah. that is suggestive one way uh, or the other Alexa's not allowed in our bedroom anymore by the way yeah, yeah. I got one for upstairs, and I put it in there, you know, just, I don't know, because sometimes you want to hear music when you get ready in the morning. Yeah. And it got banished. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's probably good to, to be conservative, uh, especially, you know, in that particular situation. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's, I mean, hey, but... Uh, is there no is there is there fear on your side like working with this stuff like that it'll go too far or are you more focused on how far can it go? Yeah, so so I think this is like the perfect example of like a, you know, a a textbook religious discussion. And I'm yeah. going to call it religious in the sense that you know, if if we had one person that took the position that you know AI is going to take over the world and mm-hmm. become our overlords, and another person that takes the position that that that's not going to happen, the reality is neither side can definitively prove. Sure. Right. So, so one person can make a statement that it won't happen, 
and that statement is not falsifiable. Mm-hmm. And another person can make a statement that it will happen, and that statement is also not falsifiable. Yeah. And so when you have debate about statements that are not falsifiable, mm-hmm. um, I, I kind of see that as a waste of time. Like, sure. I like to think sure. about it, and I like to, to, to explore it, um, but I, I generally don't put a lot of my energy into the headspace of non-falsifiable. Okay. So you have something, and it may not be akin to this whatsoever, but like the cloning debate, like, you know, science pushing, you have your both sides and, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever. Um, But like with this side, you have people actively um, voicing their concern about it. And, and, you know, you think you have like series like Black Mirror on Netflix which are, are potentially all about, you know, being careful what you're putting into AI almost, you know, and, and how much you trust it with your life. And then you have, you know, just a movie that's being highlighted right now, Jinxy. Have you seen uh, things for the movie Jinxy? I, I haven't. Like, um, uh, like I've seen trailers a lot. I guess they've paid a lot of money. I don't watch real TV. Like I just watch like what, whatever through my Apple device. I'm, I'm very committed to technology in my limited resources. And, uh, but it's about you know basically a rogue iPhone mm-hmm. that starts controlling his life, and she mm-hmm. gets mad at him, and then like empties his bank account and stuff like this. Is all you know probably it's probably one of those movies that's all the funny parts are, are in the the trailer. Yeah, um, sure. but you know it's that level of movie, so I wouldn't be too concerned. But but it seems like media, a large in part, is is or at least people who produce media, people who, who are producing these things, are actively. Um, Saying, you know, like, guys, just be careful, like, you know, out there. And and I just didn't know if there was, I don't want to say efficacy, like, on your side, because I feel like that's that's too strong of a word to use. But do you have your radar up in terms of how far is too far? Or would this go into a realm of, like, I don't, I don't know, like, I don't know, some kind of evasiveness of some kind or anything is, is that being talked about like in, in, on the technology push side or is it ultimately like, like I'm, I'm a bad person to even ask that because I'm the kind of guy that like, when I see a target, like I want to go all the way through it. I don't really care about the concerns. Like that's the challenge. And so I want to go reach it. See, that's, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm the worst to even be asking this cause I, I wouldn't think this way, but is there that kind of talk among people like yourselves that are that are out on the front end of this? Yeah, uh, truly, there's there's a religious debate where you have really high profile, notable personalities that believe with all of their heart, and they're committing literally millions, hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of dollars, sure, sure, um, in into the pursuit of what they'd call artificial general intelligence. Mm-hmm. Because they believe it, it could potentially be, um, you know, mankind's savior, or they mm-hmm. believe that we need to get there first and make sure that it's good before somehow it organically evolves and and becomes the overlords. Right? There, oh, there's a lot is of that different a thing, really. I mean, there there are positions people take yeah. on this. Okay. I, I mean, I will just say... Like, I know you don't want to talk about that, like the debate part of it, but I'm just talking about, like, in your pursuits of it. Like, are there places that, that you've experienced even that you just go, I don't know that we want to go there? 
or no, anything I mean, like that? We, 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 can, we can go anywhere. I, I would just okay. say I, I'm a skeptic when it comes to is AI going to take over the world, right? Sure. Like, like I, yeah. have, I have been hands-on. I've implemented some of these models from scratch. I've, mm-hmm. I've studied and published papers that have been accepted to journals that mm-hmm. are really notable um, journals. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just haven't had enough experience myself that 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 I have any alarm bells going off like I sure. actually yeah, yeah. I actually think you know it's easy to get carried away with uh, possibilities mm-hmm. and I think you know especially uh, people in the software industry may, may be drawn to sci-fi may be drawn to sure. um, you know just it, it's sort of fun to think about that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and and in the abstract I think it is Possible, right? One of my favorite quotes, though, I think Yogi Berra, you know, is a maybe the source of this quote. You know, he said, "In theory, there's no difference between theory and practice, but in practice, there is." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and that's the way I see this, right? Yeah. Like in theory, I don't see a reason why you couldn't ultimately simulate the whole human body, the whole human brain. Mm-hmm. Um, like academically, it, it, it kind of makes sense that, that that you could almost eventually, at some point in time, whether it's a decade or a hundred years or a thousand years, yeah, maybe eventually, yeah, you could simulate the whole brain, mm-hmm. the whole body. Um, you could definitely do my whole brain; it wouldn't take long. It'd be fine. <laughs> well, the the if you follow that line of thinking. You know, ultimately, you really just end up with more questions. Like, oh yeah, right. Like, like if I could clone every cell of your body one at a time, and I've got another one of you sitting mm-hmm. here with us, you know, which, which one of you is is the real you? Mm. Like, well, the and, real Slim Shady, please stand up. Please stand yeah. up. Right. So, so it, it it has to then sort of go to another level where you believe there's there's something very special and very spiritual about mm-hmm. you and who you are a divine spark of sorts yeah d- you know d- yeah, yeah we're, are are you you know um you know in in say a judeo christian point of view mm-hmm. are are you created in god's own image are you yeah. a spiritual being that that's sort of special mm-hmm. or are you maybe in a in a nihilistic point of view or an atheistic point of view like a collection of the cosmos that somehow came together in yeah. these endless cycles. Your answer to that question, which, which is a very religious mm-hmm. question, absolutely, is going to drive your philosophy on AI mm-hmm. uh, because there will be a bias one way or the other, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just inherently going to be the case. Sure. So, you know, avoid this if you want. Feel free to just be like, that's a stupid question. Um, but... Have you had an experience, or do you foresee, like, say, say you could um, clone me mm-hmm. as a person, basically through artificial intelligence, you could build a robot Jacob or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have some some things I would like um, fixed, but anyways, um, to, to the second me or the first me, whichever. Um, and can can that mimic? Could that potentially mimic me to the point that no one would notice the difference? I guess is my question. It, I guess 
in your work in AI, is there at any point that you do or have seen a, a soul divine spark feeling within that? You're like, okay, I can't replicate anything like that, but potentially I could, could I mean, yeah. So, so, so like, so, so that was messy, but no, do you understand no. what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so if you go back, you know, look, look up a guy named Alan Turing, T U R I N G. Okay. So there's this, famous test called the Turing test. So Alan Turing is sort of credited by most, I think, as being the father of AI. He was a guy that that sort of broke uh, Nazi code during World War II and um, Mm -hmm. got a really interesting life story. There's even a a movie about him. Um, Can't remember the name of it right off, but uh, it's been out in the past few years, kind of goes through his life story a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's worth, worth watching. Um. He proposed a test that, that that sort of gets at the question I think you're trying to ask, which is, okay, imagine that, that we had some type of partition between us, mm-hmm. and imagine that I don't know if you know it's a human on the other side, Jacob, or mm-hmm. it's you know let's say a robot, okay, and I'm and I'm interacting with whatever is on the other side, mm-hmm. like if I can't tell the difference between whether it's a human or a robot, based on anything I want to throw at it, any question I want to ask, whether it's a math problem, whether it's a riddle, whether it's tell me what you think about Shakespeare, mm-hmm. right? Like, like anything conversational. If I can't tell the difference, if it's a human or not, then according to the Turing test, basically, you know, you, you've, you've really achieved something remarkable. You've, mm-hmm. you've, You've created some AI because if a human can't tell the difference, you know, in a certain state of mind, does it, is there a difference? Does mm-hmm. it really matter? Okay. Right. And, and so there's a lot of practical applications to that mm-hmm. in the world, right? If, if you don't have to have a real human answer the phone to interact with, say, a customer that has questions yeah. and you just literally cannot tell the difference, like, like. Even the tiniest little changes in intonation or mannerisms or speech quirks or whatever, Mm -hmm. if you can't tell the difference, like, does it really matter if you're talking to another human or not? And if you can't tell the difference, well, now you have to answer this question, like, am I just a robot just like this robot (laughs) I created? Or is there something special about me? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, if I ask this robot I created, hey, is there something special about you? I mean, what should the robot say, right? If, if the robot uh, comes from like a nihilistic point of view, it might say, no, I'm just a collection of the cosmos and uh, nothing that special. I mean, there is something special in the sense that I exist and I sure, can yeah. love people. Yeah. And, but, you know, I, I've got this worldview. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you could ask the robot a question and it could say, uh, you know, I'm a religious Muslim, and I believe what I believe. You mm-hmm. know, from you know, my my religious studies. Mm-hmm. Either one of those answers could be valid, right? Yeah. Because you could ask a human that question, and a human could give you either one of those answers, and you could say, "Okay, I respect that answer. That makes sense. You mm-hmm. know, that's your point of view. That's your identity." Yeah. Right. So it it, it kind of gets at the essence of. What what is a human? What mm-hmm. what, is, what is humanity? Is it spiritual? Is it special? Or is it just something mechanical? Um, 
you know, in, in the sense that there are atoms and, and molecules and cells working together to, yeah. to to produce this pattern that we look at and say, well, that's a human. Sure. And and there's some truth to that, too. I mean, with the way that each person's brain processes stuff. Like people who have certain illnesses or, or disabilities or whatever you want to call them that process differently see things like I can see, I mean, theoretically, I can see full color. You know, other friends, their brains process and their eyes process only in, you know, grayscale or black and white. Um, so what, do you do you think that the... Which which side do you do you sit on? You think do you think we're all I don't know mathematically bound you know bound mm-hmm. parts yeah and that there may be in fact no difference like it, it, we, are you in a certain camp or or do you kind of toggle around? No, I mean from from like a world view, you know my my bias would be. Uh, to come at it from the classic Judeo-Christian worldview, okay. right? So I would look at it as God created something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. humans are created in the image of God. And then I would look at the most important thing I could do in my life as learn about this God mm-hmm. and this universe that I'm a part of and sure. learn about me. You know, I think the big questions in life are, Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Like, mm-hmm. origin, where did I come from? How right. did I yeah, get yeah, here? Yeah. You know, meaning, well, is there meaning in life or or not? How mm-hmm. do I know? How do I philosophically think about that and defend that position? Mm. Um, morality, how do you know what's right and what's wrong? How, mm-hmm. how do you come up with ethical standards that, that in theory, if you gave to your, your worst enemy mm-hmm. and they used them, you would still be happy with the outcome, right? Mm. Like that's the test of a really good system. Yeah. Give it to your worst enemy uh, who, who who may have malicious intent, and and if you're happy with the outcome, it's probably a good system, you know, mm-hmm. especially if you start to think about ethics. And then yeah. destiny, like, well, what happens when I die? Does anything mm-hmm. happen? Right? You yeah. know, th- that, that's kind of like the big bet, really, right? We, we can be <laughs> philosophers about sure. the first three. Yeah. Um, you know, the last one... Yeah, you know, I I think is the most perplexing. Sure, sure. I mean, you can't you know read who's been there and been back um, that often. Anyways, so so, so that would anyway that'd be my bias yeah. in that right. So so it's like yeah, I can't sit here and pretend like I'm unbiased, right? I, I'm skeptical sure. of Everybody AI is, taking yeah. over the world. Um, you know, but and, nothing and I, you've seen would deter you from your foundation as a Judeo Christian. No, um, or experience. I, I just haven't, right? I, yeah. I have not experienced anything intellectually or or experientially that that I think really carries enough weight for me to to lose a wink of sleep at night, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know we could go find things on the internet. Um, you know, we could, you know, you could look up Ray Kurzweil, for example. Really interesting guy. Like, like I, um, I appreciate like the point of view he brings, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. it makes me think, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I love being able to sort of put myself in, in someone else's shoes or in their chair and, and genuinely consider their point of view, mm-hmm. right? I, I think that is just one of the most important things, like to be able to do that with 
without actually accepting their point of view, but but sort of entertaining it and yeah. considering it, right? I think that's part of the learning and growth that, that we all need to be able to to do more of in life. But but despite all of my attempts at that, like I'm just not there yet. I'm I'm still a skeptic. Mm-hmm. Now I'll say that that I'm not like call it uh, you know sort of a fundamentalist skeptic. Like if if I see something that 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 would uh, jar me or change my perspective, I would change my perspective. Right? I would. Yeah, I would yeah. be pretty pragmatic about it. Sure. Right. Um, I think being open minded is so important, right? Yeah. Just because you have a belief system, you're not blind. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. And, and I just think open mindedness as a concept, right? It's it, when you close off certain possibilities as just never, ever, ever, ever being something you could even entertain, mm-hmm. it seems to me that's like a dangerous place to be. It seems mm-hmm. like. You you have to be able to entertain possibilities that you don't like, that you may never accept, that you don't think you would accept, mm-hmm. but you just never know what kind of learning and growth may come out of that Sure, if yeah. you just give it a little bit of energy from time to time. Mm-hmm. And usually those nevers end up into being the exact place that you end up in, in my experience at least, right? Well, if like, nothing else, right? I'm so, never going to do that, and then all of a sudden you're doing it, and you're like, oh, crap. Well, well, so I mean, if if, if I, I mean, you ultimately become sort of more confident in whatever your position is because now you've explored this possibility, mm-hmm. and and you've decided, well, one more data point that that makes me more confident, mm-hmm. or um, you know, it it kind of shakes your confidence, and you mm-hmm. say, wow, I I need to I need to go deeper on that, or I need to revisit that. Yeah, yeah, and, and so. I think it's only in your best interest to be open-minded for yeah. those reasons. Yeah, yeah. You know, just one one step at a time. Cool, yeah. You know, I, this probably wasn't anything on your radar to talk about necessarily today, but I thought it was fascinating, all this all this AI stuff. One, because it, it's interesting because I, I see the media put up against it, you know, and, you know, I, I, I watch social media and, I, you know, I look at... Uh, you know, movies and I got my Netflix queue and, you know, I grew up watching the Terminator, you know, yeah. like there's all these things yeah. that it's very intriguing to me. Do I think that some machine is going to take over for me and, and like take my place and I'm all of a sudden going to, you know, no, but like, I like the storylines. I think they're kind of fun. Like, and maybe it does, but like, well, so, but, but, but look, I mean that this is really important stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I do think AI is one of the most important developments at mm. this point in time, like by far. Mm-hmm. If you look at the arc of humanity and you look at the improvements that come from technology, mm-hmm. right? So a classical view of humanity would say humans are basically the same and always have been. You know, we, we have wants and needs and, and emotions and, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we, we sort of have this experience that we can share in common, language and so on. But in general, we're basically the same, and and technology is really what changes, mm-hmm. and that's what sort of uh, you know elevates lifestyles and changes the experience we all share. Yeah, right. Because y- if you've got a lot of people completely disconnected, uh, you don't have great transportation, you don't have great drinking water, you don't have reliable supply chains for food or, you know, what have you, shelter, basic human needs. Mm. It's a totally different experience than if 
you have some of those bases covered or you mm-hmm. have most of those yeah. bases covered, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so there's this just view that, you know, technology sort of drives the arc of, of humanity. And then you, you start to look at it and say, well, what technology has really put a dent in in the curve? Mm-hmm. You know, the, sort of this arc of progress, right? I think AI, you could look at and say it's definitely driving mm-hmm. software, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Software is kind of like running everything. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this quote, software is eating the world, Mm -hmm. you know, one little bite at a time. And then you say, well, like a megabyte, hey, a gigabyte, uh, Mm. you know. Um, (laughs) But the, yeah, you, you sort of say, you've got all this data. You've got all this software that basically spews off data exhaust all day Mm -hmm. long. Mm -hmm. How do we use that data? to make better decisions, whatever those decisions may be. Yeah. Well, guess what? It's an intractable problem for humans to sift through all that data. Mm-hmm. It's already, I mean, it's been an intractable problem for, for quite some time. Yeah. Well, can we build software that can learn from experience to help us make those decisions? Well, what would that experience be? It would be that data exhaust. Hmm. So if we can build software that can consume that data exhaust for a useful purpose, mm-hmm. maybe that purpose helps me make more money. Maybe it helps me save time. Maybe it helps me, you know, um, better appreciate, you know, the, the the difference in you know biases between groups of people. If I'm studying something like a political election, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a constituency, right? Very. All, all common things that, yeah. that are top of mind for everybody. Um, I mean, that's really where my head's at when I think about machine learning. Mm-hmm. You know, I think AI is is almost like such a hyped up media term um, that, that that just has a lot of. Um, there, there's just a lot of connotation. There's a lot of sci-fi connotation. Right. Yeah, yeah, big time. Um, you know, yeah. I, I use machine learning a lot in, in my own parlance just because I, I think it more concretely describes the reality of, of what's really happening today. Mm. And, um, you know, and I listen for it, right? Because I almost, I, I've almost just anecdotally found that when people talk about AI, they are thinking more sci-fi. They are more, th- oh, yeah. they, they may 100%. not really understand. You hear machine learning... Um, you say, okay, well, you you must have at least dug a layer deeper to be using that term. Mm-hmm. You, you must have an opinion on it uh, that's a little bit different from from uh, you know what you what you read on online or on a major sort of news source. Yeah, yeah. But well, it, but it's important stuff, right? Yeah. So, so like as a practical example, like so, what's the coolest thing I've ever done with AI? Um, so in in one of my previous roles as a as a chief technology officer in in this company I came to Tennessee to mm-hmm. to join and and grow I was I was there about 10 years and and sort of you know started with you know a handful of people around a table you know mm-hmm. the founder and me and and a couple other people you know and we grew this company up into you know a substantial technology company that's doing business all over the planet, literally. Mm. Wow. Um, you know, across fintech space, across health healthcare, and of course our roots were were in defense contracting and defense intelligence. That was sort of the tie from 
me being in Washington DC and, and, and me getting to Tennessee, you know, there was a little bit of that, that military government tie that right, yeah. uh, translated. So in healthcare, we deployed technology that can read radiology pathology reports. Mm-hmm. And it can detect if there is a cancer diagnosis from the interpretation of that language. And mm-hmm. if so, what kind of cancer is being diagnosed? Wow. And it, it, it's, it's an interesting problem because you would, you would think, well, okay, if, if the report is there and there's something suggestive of, of cancer, well, why would you need a, a machine to to reread that report and, and to tell you something that's already there. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, when you look at like the IT fabric for large provider systems, you know, large cancer institutes, large healthcare providers, um, there's a lot of complexity. There's mm-hmm. a lot of legacy technology complexity. There's a lot of uh, coordination complexity and in how information flows. Mm-hmm. And so it's a pretty big deal to be able to say, as soon as I have a digital version of a report, can I immediately predict something as substantial as, is there a cancer diagnosis, and if so, which one, Mm -hmm. as opposed to letting that same information trickle through the system? Mm. Because if you're talking about a cancer diagnosis, like, you know, minutes, hours, days, yeah, the sooner the better, right? So um, that's, that's, I think, an example of where technology, you know, you can call it AI, you can call it machine learning, you know, in my own experience has, has been personally and, and just really impactful. You know, I've spent a lot of time and energy on that problem in that space. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really cool to see a solution deployed, you know, and, and growing you know, in, in its deployment. You know, it's helping, yeah. helping a lot of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really cool. So, um, well, let's take a quick break and we'll come right back then to it. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by NutriShop Franklin. Go on by NutriShop Franklin for all your personal needs. You need supplements? They got it. You need your protein? They got it. You need a pick-me-up? You need to drink a bang? They got it. So go check them out in Franklin in the Cool Springs area. When you stop in and you see Kyle, say, hey, Jacob said you got some good stuff here. I'll tell you, you won't be disappointed because they have unrivaled customer service. So go check them out and tell them you heard about them and the Barbell Voodoo Podcast. All right, welcome back. Thanks for checking out that advertisement. <laughs> like you had a choice, um, but we are back here. Um, so we were we were talking about AI and uh, the computers and all the people that are scared that uh, they're going to take over, and we've solved that whole problem. All your fears should now be alleviated from Terminator showing up to kill um, any of you in right now today. Um, so, I mean, at the very least, I wouldn't recommend buying, um, you know, like robot insurance or anything like yeah, that. Yet, you know? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you can. That's hold probably off on not that a bit. Not a thing you need to invest in just yet. I mean, you could maybe start the company now. It may be ready to go by that point. But yeah. 
Uh, but anyway, so so you moved to Tennessee to to Nashville, the beautiful beautiful Nashville. I love Nashville. It's a lot more fun and interesting now than than thirteen uh, years ago or so when I moved here. Like like yeah. I've, I've seen it evolve and grow in, See, I think in it's some incredible ways. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think I, I don't like the way it's going, but that's just me. I mean, I grew up here, so like there's mm-hmm. a lot of old Nashville that was that I loved mm-hmm. as a teenager being able to go and participate in that nowadays I wouldn't let my teenager go and participate in. Mm-hmm. You know, does that mm-hmm. make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting to see neighborhoods that I was not allowed to be in that are now more than I could ever afford to be in. That's, that's an interesting concept. But, um, so you moved here and, uh, the company you, uh, were, uh, hired by is not the company you currently own. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if, if you remember, you know, I, I sort of, uh, grew up with this, this mantra of, you know, go get a job, stay out of trouble, you know, make good grades. Mm-hmm. U- ultimately, you know, it, it was very much just go figure out how to produce an income for yourself. It mm-hmm. was very much uh, be a check taker, you know, be a really good check taker, be yeah, a reliable yeah. check taker. There was never anything growing up that suggested you could ever be a check maker. Mm. It was always you can sell your time. Um, there was never really anything in my upbringing that suggested maybe you could buy other people's time. Maybe you could do something more than be an employee. Mm-hmm. So, th- so I, I honestly, and I'm not even joking, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, I don't think when I graduated high school, I actually knew what the word entrepreneur meant. Sure, I, yeah. I think that at the time, I thought it meant something like, successful business person that jet sets and, you know, something like successful business person. Yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't have been able to tell you an entrepreneur builds a business. Mm -hmm. And in my own sort of intellectual journey, it took me some time to even really understand what business means. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if I peel back some of the layers... Uh, you know, I'll start with technology. We talked about technology, right? Yeah. So technology is like this potential energy that can solve a problem, right? We can we can create something that can do work, and hopefully, you know, it, it it's going to solve a problem we care about. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's just sort of intellectual. Or so, it makes us mad to the point that you want to throw it out a window. Yeah, right? you, you, can you can't forget about that option. That's always an option. Yeah, right? yeah. Happens to me often. So, anyway, yeah. just wanted to throw that in there. So, you got technology, <laughs> solves a problem. But to productize technology, to turn technology into a product, mm-hmm. it, it actually has to solve a problem that, that's generalizable to some extent. Yeah, that, yeah. That, can, that a wider market has that you're solving. Yeah, it can yeah. be deployed into a market, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there mm-hmm. is a difference between technology, which could be anything to anybody or everything to everybody, Mm -hmm. very abstract, like all these possibilities. But then to productize technology, you've got to get pretty specific. You've Mm -hmm. got to put some constraints on this thing. You've got to start to uh, begin to think about some of the economics and, and some of the, you know, the user experience, especially if you're productizing it. Now to build a business 
that can deploy that product into the market is a completely different endeavor Mm. because a business has to be able to turn a profit. Mm -hmm. So you, you could, you could build an amazing product and the price point may make it untenable for the entire market. Mm -hmm. Or you could build uh, a product that doesn't have a user experience that anyone's willing to put up with, (laughs) even though in theory, if someone bought it, it would, it would, you know, be incredibly lucrative. Mm. And, And so, you know, th- that's really um, sort of the, call it the intellectual journey I, I kind of went through maybe in, in the, the 10 years or so, you know, preceding us was this this fascination with technology for technology's sake to start out with, but eventually becoming a lot more business-minded, a lot more product-minded, figuring out, oh, you've got to productize this technology for it to be useful, but then on a whole different level, Wow. Well, how do you how do you build a business? How how would you operate a business? Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, you know, back to this concept of entrepreneur. You know, a I think a great definition of entrepreneur is you're able to connect a capital source that's not your own to a problem that's worth solving, mm-hmm. and build a business to deploy that product into a market. Mm-hmm. Right, so so it's a little bit of being the person in the middle, yeah. That can say, okay, it takes money to make money, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. right? Even if you want to be an independent consultant and, and call yourself a product, yeah, you probably got to have a computer to work on. You've you know you've got to have a mm-hmm. lawnmower. Mm-hmm. You've got to have something. Mm-hmm. And you might say, well, you know, the startup expenses are trivial. It's like a hundred dollar lawnmower. It's a five hundred dollar laptop, or mm-hmm. it's a you know, a fancy suit that I can wear to to meet with someone uh, to do a high ticket sale or something, right? Mm-hmm. If you're just selling someone else's product, but I mean, there is some level of startup expense, like in your own skill set and and just capital. It may be trivial, right. yeah. Um, but then you start to think about technology problems um, and and sort of the layers of complexity you have to wade through to solve them, mm-hmm. and. Sometimes you're building from scratch. Sometimes you're integrating lots of different pieces that that are out there, but there's still this integration overhead. Yeah, yeah. You say, well, who who does that work? Well, people do that work that um, you know command a pretty high market rate for their time, mm-hmm. and and so that's your overhead in a lot of cases. You mm-hmm. know, how how do you find really incredible people? that are excited enough about the problem you want to solve that sort of buy into your vision of what could become reality mm-hmm. and find a way to take the capital that you can scrap together and the talent they can provide, the time they're willing to put in, mm-hmm. and ultimately produce a solution that you can deploy to a market yeah. and ultimately have a margin that allows you to produce revenue that you can re- reinvest back into the business. Yeah. And a lot of technology companies, you know, go through stages where, you know, you've, you've got to invest more up front mm-hmm. than, than you have in revenue, but eventually you always have to break even mm-hmm. because if you don't, you don't have a business. You, you, you just have a cash sink. Do you spend like, is this, does, does all this stuff kind of like just naturally how your brain works? Or do you like spend a lot of time like processing through things or like, 
like because you're you're way like down the road thinking through things than I ever would want to be. Like, I'm not, that's not, I'm not trying to put you down by any means. I'm just saying like, you have like, I mean, you just laid out a thing and and it's just like, I would have been like, yeah, that would have been three sentences, (laughs) you know, like, but, but like just the way you unpack that, I mean, I guess it goes back to like, honestly, almost like, you know, from, from 13, like it's something obviously in you. I mean, you, you laid out a, a plan as a 13 year old to somehow get, get into the air force, you know, academy, like. I still, you know, you glossed right over that, but I'm still going, I know a lot of 13 year olds and like they can barely express their feelings, you know, and, and <laughs> I usually, probably could not express my feelings. Well, that is, that is a whole different I, thing. I, but <laughs> I, I, I will say, you know, that, that, that is a really important part of life too. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think I fully understood the importance of feelings and emotions mm-hmm. because for a lot of my life I, I was you know, to call it too intellectual. Yeah, right? I, yeah. I, I, you know, I remember points in my, you know, mid twenties, maybe uh, late twenties, even where I'm, where I'm sort of like trying to figure out, well, yeah, do, do, what do you do with emotions? What do you do with sure, yeah, like, yeah. passion? How, how does, how does it really fit into the equation? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think everyone has sort of a different growth journey, you know, so, so mine was, was probably a little bit lopsided, uh, you know, toward intellectualism mm-hmm. and, and toward so it's just uh, naturally. Just, this is the way you think and process. Yeah, I mean, like I, you don't necessarily spend an exorbitant amount of time literally sitting and processing through everything. Yeah, like so. So I think principles are really important, right? So sure. Yeah. Values. Yeah. I think everyone needs to to understand. Um, you know, like what what does it mean to live life on the terms you want to live life mm-hmm. on? Mm-hmm. And, and some big part of that is that you have values that you want to be able to express mm. daily, you know, continuously. Yeah. You need to know what those values are. They're going to be mm-hmm. different uh, for everybody, distinctive to some extent for everybody. And then I think principles are like values in motion. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, if I value something, well, what is the cause-effect relationship by way of me valuing that thing. What, yeah, yeah. what will happen to me and the world around me if I live out that value? Mm-hmm. I think good principles start to to lay that out. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. And so one of my principles that that you know I've come to love is this idea that structure follows strategy. Hmm. So unpack it, that for me, yeah. Yeah. So if if I have a strategy it's like a time-phased plan. Correct. Right? So I'm, I've got this thing I want to do. I've got these time steps. I'm going to break it down a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, you know, I've got these checkpoints along the way. There's a sequence of events. Mm-hmm. So if that's what I want to do, how do I structure my life, my environment, my team, mm-hmm. my context to help me achieve that strategy? Yeah. And ultimately, you know, it helps to to have some like-minded people on the team that Mm -hmm. that buy into the strategy. They want to see the vision happen. Um, You know, it it helps to set yourself up for success in in your environment. Mm -hmm. You know, it helps to to make whatever series of decisions uh, you you need to make, because if that's really the strategy for uh, your business or your life or some season of your life, uh, why would you not structure your life that way to, mm. to get more of this thing that you say you want. Like yeah, it, yeah. It, to me, 
it, it just makes sense. So sure. I, I'm, I guess I'm a really systematic thinker, and I like to be extremely intentional, maybe to a fault, um, in, in how I go about, you know, living life. Like yeah, I, yeah. you know, I, I, I want to understand to the extent that I can, what these cause effect relationships are mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and how ultimately I can, I can plug into, um, you know, cause effect relationships in a way that, that allows me to achieve more of the things I want to achieve, mm-hmm. but has sort of like as much, collateral good and and sort of like allows me to be as generous as possible to everyone else around me mm. in the process. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because I mean, who wants to try to be successful and, and end up on an island by yourself? I mean, who yeah. wants to build a successful business? And then if everyone says, hey, well, what did you think of that guy? Would you ever work with him again? And everyone's like, no way. I'd never want to work mm-hmm. with that guy. Like no one wants that. So why wouldn't you begin with the end in mind mm-hmm. in that way? Yeah, and I'm not sure that a lot of people do. You know, like I've, I mean, I've had the opportunity to talk to many entrepreneurs, great businessmen that people would work with or whatever, but mm-hmm. they've come to a point where their life didn't feel like it had any more meaning. Mm-hmm. Like all that they'd worked for was nothing more than an inheritance for their kids and their grandkids and things like that. Like it was very, it was very, uh, a shallow existence, I guess, in, in some ways. And so I'm not, I'm not sure that that, I think your natural ability is a unique gift that, that you have within you more so than like the common thing. Like, of course, I mean, well, yeah, why wouldn't you start yeah. with the end in sight? But, uh, um, I'm not sure a lot, a lot of people do. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think you're very u- unique in that. Um, and, and maybe it's the hyper focus that you have that you're able to achieve that, that others, you know, like myself see squirrels and, and chase them down, like, <laughs> you know, from up, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's incredible just, just the way that, that you, you're processing the things that you're doing and, and the intentionality behind it, but also the umbrella of, it should create good in, in the world in, in whatever way that, that you can, you know, there, there's no point in achieving greatness for, um, self, you know, ideation, I guess, you know, just like all this kind of, you know, this is so I can have a placard on or my name on a school building or, you know, I yeah. don't know. Well, it, and it comes, you know, so many things, right. So I've, I found, you know, it's like you can take whatever you want and, and you keep unpeeling it you know, concepts eventually become, uh, you know, plans, operational plans. It eventually kind of boils down into mathematics and arithmetic and economics and you peel back another layer, you know, eventually you, you, it gets philosophical, you know, Mm. everything always ends up getting philosophical and then you peel back enough philosophy and it gets religious in the sense that there's some measure of faith you have to exert because Mm -hmm. you're, making statements that can't be falsified or you're, you have beliefs that can't be proven. Mm-hmm. And so now you're acting in faith, whether it's an mm-hmm. atheistic kind of faith, whether it's a theistic kind of faith, mm-hmm. you're, you're acting in faith in a generic sense. And so philosophically, you know, I think one of the things I've, I've learned in, in my own life, you know, I, I grew up in what I would call, you know, like a more of like a, a 
poverty mindset where, mm-hmm. hey, there's re- not really enough for everybody. You, you better figure out how to go get yours, yeah. right? It's a bit of a zero-sum game. And I think, you know, in my late 20s, early 30s, you know, it really shifted into more of an abundance mentality where it's like, man, there is enough for everybody and then some. And if I can help enough other people get what they want, Mm. I might be able to get more of what I want. Mm -hmm. If I can, uh, you know, I think Zig Ziglar, you know, a guy that I've I've been really inspired by, um, you know, he has a lot of really great motivational talks. I mean, I think that's almost exactly his quote. Um, You know, there's another version of it um, by Tim O'Reilly that's something to the effect of, if you create more value than you consume, you know, good things are, are going to happen, right? Mm, mm-hmm. So I think like as a principle, yeah, try to create more value than you consume. Mm. That would be like the definition of generosity, really. Like mm. if I'm giving away more than I'm taking, yeah, yeah, it's, it's generous, right? Yeah. And then if I'm happy with, with the outcome, I'm inclined to want to do that more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And now there's this like collateral good that happens from it. And, um, like that's a sort of an upward spiral. That's like a virtuous cycle, you know, as opposed to like a vicious cycle. That's, mm-hmm. that's the downward spiral. Yeah. So you, uh, were watching these, this other entrepreneur that you were working with, that you came to work with and you were, you were to the point where you were like, man, I would really like to, to control my own destiny can, you know, kind of contribute and be my own, uh, be an entrepreneur myself. Um, and so you started making uh, a path to do that. You, you yeah. set out your schematics or, you know, your plan to do that, right? Yeah. And, and, it, and it sort of came in phases, right? Because I, I didn't fully, you know, deep inside me, I knew, okay, yeah, I want to control my own destiny. I want to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I want to live life on, on the terms I want to live life on. I, I, didn't, I didn't quite know that being an entrepreneur was was maybe the one one of the one word paths that I could I could pursue to do that. Okay. But uh it it just started oozing out of me, mm. right? So I, I started doing, you know, call it, you know, nights and weekends sorts of non conflicting work. Right. Not because I had to, but because I just wanted to. Like mm-hmm. it was exciting to me that I could uh write technical articles have them published, get recognition for them, and you know, then there was extra income from that, mm. right? It, it was interesting, yeah. not really because of the extra income, but because um, I, I was effectively like a little miniature content production business. Mm. Now, it, it was the tiniest of businesses; it, it only consisted of me. Mm-hmm. But but you start to understand how contract language works. You start to understand Mm. how to negotiate on rates. You start to like understand even your own human limits. Like how many of these nights and weekends sorts of articles can I produce per unit time? Like Mm -hmm. what, what, what is healthy for me? What is healthy for the life balance I want? Right. But the articles eventually sort of evolved into books. Mm. So I, started writing entire books. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, a couple of these books were pretty successful. And you start to kind of build a, a bigger reputation around the book, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so like you can so get someone... So what are someone, the books about? Well, the, the best-selling book that I have is called Mining the Social Web. Okay. And so if you go back in time about 10 years before 
Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn were publicly traded companies and Mm -hmm. social media was truly like a nascent thing, Mm -hmm. you know, like back when, you know, only colleges were using Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. Like that far back. Right. Yeah. Like, like grandparents, they, they never heard of it. For those of you listening, that's, that's how it started. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I had this hunch Right. I had this hunch, but because remember, my background is in like computer science and data analysis and and trying to Mm -hmm. build systems that can learn from data. I had this hunch that, okay, social media is not just a fad, it's like the next wave. Mm -hmm. So, why not write a book on how you can mine the data from social media? today, mm-hmm. um, sort of speculate a bit about where that could go in the future, and just just kind of like, it would be fun to do, I would like to do it, um, it, it would help me to sort of, you know, build my professional reputation in this space, mm-hmm. so so that was sort of the basis of mining the social web, so it's, it's now in... I don't know, like upwards of a dozen different languages oh, wow. in a third edition. I, I mm-hmm. brought on a co-author to to help uh, with the third edition. We got that published back in January of this year okay. just to, to kind of keep it fresh. Yeah, we, we added a chapter on Instagram because that, that had since become a thing since mm-hmm. the, the second edition of the book published. Um, but yeah, most of my books have, have been on technology mm-hmm. and um, using technology to, to build product or to... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to analyze and and understand data. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah. Keep keep going on the um, getting getting towards your your entrepreneurship launch. Yeah. So just yeah, it sort of started oozing out of me by way of producing content, and um, you know, there there were you know just little consulting gigs that that kind of came my way. You know, just freelance opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you start to, to kind of build up this little consultancy and, mm-hmm. you know, again, you learn more about business, but, but it's all a services based business. You're, you're actually just trading your time mm-hmm. for money, mm-hmm. right? So you're, you're not really an employee in a sense. Um, you're your own employee. So you're, you're self-employed, right? But this was just a nights and weekends kind of, kind of gig, mm-hmm. um, but but just sort of the experience of that was, um, you know, it was just uh, it just increased the appetite to do it more, and um, you know if you just kind of let the clock keep moving forward, you know, eventually um, I, I built this side project for a CrossFit competition. Mm-hmm. Which one was it? What was the CrossFit competition? Do you uh, remember? Yeah, it's called Battle for the Box. Okay. So um, the, the, the gist is that um, a friend from CrossFit Cool Springs uh, was, was putting together a competition to benefit children in Haiti mm-hmm. after one of the storms blew through. Yeah. And they were just looking to cut all of the costs they possibly could. And right. so they, they could have gone to, you know, active.com or, or somewhere or Eventbrite and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of, uh, I, I guess, stood up, you know, a, a, a standard registration scoring system of some kind. Sure. Um, but ultimately, they were, they were just looking for ways to cut corners. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways that I helped them to cut a corner was, you know, I, I built them a little scoring system for this competition. Mm. 
And so they were just really looking for like a spreadsheet. They're like, hey, can you build a spreadsheet? And it's like, I guess I could, but you know, the scoring's a little more complex than that. And probably I can do something nicer than yeah. give you a spreadsheet. Uh, and plus, you know, I had sort of the background, the software development skills to just do it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I found it intellectually interesting. And so I, I built a little web app that was a scoring system. Yeah. And so we used it on event day. Um, I guess this would have been like mid to late 2014. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this was a while back. Um, and after that competition, you know, little requests started to trickle in like, hey, can we use your scoring system? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you almost have to pause and it's like my scoring system. It's like, well, yeah, of course you can use my scoring system, mm-hmm. you know, here, sure. And eventually, you know, you start to think, well, yeah, I wonder, wonder maybe I should look into how the sport of CrossFit is growing. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how many of these competitions there are. And... Uh, gosh, maybe I should put some more time into this. Maybe yeah, I should yeah. should sort of productize this into into something more substantial. And and so eventually, it became a registration and scoring system that I'd wrapped up into a little business. Mm-hmm. So you know, side project becomes side business. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not something I'm putting a ton of professional energy into because you know I've got a, a pretty demanding day job. I'm leading the technology function for a fast-growing, early-stage company. Mm. But but this is this is sort of like a hobby to me that I would have just done just because. Yeah. You know, it's just interesting. It's just fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, truly a, a, a labor of love. Mm. And uh, this, this continued to evolve to the point that I couldn't keep up with it. So mm. I had to... Really? Yeah, I couldn't keep up with it. So I had to, to sort of find someone to help me part-time... So back, um, you know, it may have been, um, I guess it would have been 2015, right? In 2015, um, I rented out the historic Franklin Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it, it would have been the day, I think the day before or the day after Memorial Day Murph. Because okay. I'd watched the movie Lone Survivor, yeah, and I was yeah. just so taken by it. Mm-hmm. I mean, so taken by it that I mm-hmm. thought, no one needs to do this workout if they don't understand this story. Like, mm. you got to understand this story. And so I personally rented out the historic Franklin Theater. Yeah. and That was before um, the renovations, wasn't it? 2015? Yeah, it must have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rented it out. The place was and awesome back before it got renovated. It's it's nice now, but it was cool with the two theaters and like you know whatever. Yeah, it's like, it's yeah. It, it, so, <laughs> so so invited everyone, right? Yeah. And it's just sort of like you know, come as you are and 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 watch this movie. Mm. And so you know, I met someone um, during that movie that that was really interested to plug in to throwdowns. Mm. Okay. You know, throwdowns.com being, you know, the, the, the name that I'd put on the business at this time. Okay. And, um, you know, that turned into to a great relationship. And, um, you know, she helped me to, to sort of, you know, really get customers what they needed. Um, mm-hmm. During the day when I was mostly unavailable, she would relay back information to me that I would need to act on sometimes during the nights and weekends. Mm-hmm. But it was just this nice little kind of tag team duo for, yeah, yeah. for a little yeah. while. Um, but, it, but it was just this organic growth that that was just so fun to be a part of. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, why would I not do this? This is <laughs> this is just 
something I would do no matter what. Now, I never imagined at the time that it could grow into, you know, a, a much more substantial business, mm. right? At this time, th- this is just a cool little side project that I'm going to wrap up into an LLC to, you know, protect myself from, you know, any potential liability issues, mm-hmm. to keep the accounting clean, to, you know, to really try to run it as a little business. But it it was just that. It was just a little business, yeah. right? There was no real expectation other than to to help people run competitions and kind of break even and have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. And so, uh, so that's where it started. So how big is it nowadays? Yeah, I mean, we've... so Like, what's your reach? Like, from Franklin now, it's expanded out to... Yeah, I mean, we've, we've run competition. You know, we've run, let's just call it, you know, 1,500 competitions in mm. several dozen countries. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so, so the reach is, you know, it, we, we have a globe with, you know, pins stuck in it. And, I mm-hmm. mean, we've, we've done business all around the world. You know, we processed millions of dollars in payment volume. We've... Yeah. You know, registered, um, you know, 150,000 or so, pr- probably closer to 200,000 or so athletes now um, through the system. And we've served up, you know, more than probably 10 million leaderboards over mm-hmm. the course of all these competitions. Wow. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the re, you know, it obviously continued to grow and grow yeah. and grow. And, you know, there, there was a point in time where I almost, just wasn't really paying attention. Hmm. And, you know, I look back and it's like, holy cow, this, this is really turning into something. (laughs) Um, what else could it be? Mm -hmm. Like, does, is it only ever destined to be a registration and scoring system for CrossFit competitions or could it be more than that? Mm -hmm. And, And what could it be if it's ever going to be more than that? Yeah. Right. So that, that kicks off, you know, an entirely, different set of questions and, and thoughts and considerations than the, than the way I'd been thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And so I started to set myself up, um, to, to be able to pursue it full time. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, back in November of 2018, I was able to, to move into it full time. Mm-hmm. So I've been at it full time, uh, since then. Yeah. Yeah. And you still love it? Love it more than ever. Yeah. Uh, I love it more every day. I can't imagine doing anything else. Uh, I can't imagine working with any other team than, than the team I've, I've put together. Yeah. So uh, how I, big is the team now from you two to, yeah, I mean, we've, we've got like a half dozen people yeah. that are, that are, you know, in, in sort of, um, varying levels of, of contribution. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's a standard company composition, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got a build product, we've got a ship product, we've got a QA product, we've got to produce content for marketing, we've got to, um, you know, make sure customers are successful. You know, right. we've we've got to prospect and to 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 make sure you know we're we're getting into the right conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where where we know there may be opportunities where we can add some value to the to the situation. Wow, and so it, it's. It, it's as standard, uh, you know, a business as you could think. It's, mm-hmm. and, and I'm of the opinion, right? So I, I won't remember the the exact figures here, right? But there's some there's some really successful tech companies you've heard of 
that that have become very valuable with far few fewer people than you would imagine. Right? Really? So, so yeah. when when Instagram was acquired by Facebook, mm-hmm. there were there were like a dozen people or so involved yeah. in Instagram. Okay. So if you really know what you're doing, mm-hmm. if you're good at business, if you're good at technology, if you're good at sort of building a high-performing team, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a good leader, um, you know, if, if the, the timing for the market is, is in your favor, mm-hmm. if you're solving a problem that's worth solving, we're, we're supply and demand, or mm-hmm. we're going to allow you to turn a profit, there's a lot of opportunity, right? You know, it's yeah. hard to find the right configuration of all those things, but, you know, right now it is a good time to be in the business of fitness. Mm-hmm. Right now is a good time to be building technology solutions for fast-growing segments of the fitness market. Mm-hmm. And so we're investing more than ever in evolving throwdowns to be a lot more than just what you might think of as a competition platform. Yeah. You know, we handle registration, we handle scoring, we can do scheduling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there are these standard functions that you need to run a competition, no mm. doubt. But what's interesting is when you say, well, okay, and then what? Like, right. like let, yeah. let's imagine you, you do all that very successfully. What, what else could you do? Right. That that's, that's where I spend a fair bit of time uh, thinking and, and planning. And yeah, so and, what else could you do? Well, so <laughs> so so if you it, you know if you look at our website now, you'll see you know sort of front and center, connect, train, and compete. Mm-hmm. So throwdowns and competition software are sort of synonymous in mm-hmm. the sense that, well, yeah, it's a competition. Somebody's going to organize a competition. Athletes are going to need to get tickets. We need to keep score. We need to schedule. Mm-hmm. Fans, spectators are going to show up. You know, so we, we have this community of people that are participating in something they love. Right? You don't accidentally show up to a to a competition. Right? Right? You don't accidentally pay a lot of money to go spend your weekend uh, doing some of the hardest you know, exercise you've probably ever done mm-hmm. or watching other people do it. Like you're, you're into this, right? right? Yeah, you're, yeah. you're likely an upmarket, high spending person thinking about fitness, mm-hmm. thinking about supplements, thinking about apparel, thinking about, well, what can I do to be more fit? Mm-hmm. I'm fit and I want to be even more fit. Yeah. Or yeah. in some cases, Hey, I, I want to get fit like that. Mm-hmm. Right, so our our real mission is like let's help people get fit or more more fit. Let's help them compete. Let's mm-hmm. help them prove their fitness, so to speak. And then you know, as you think about the different ways that you can do that, I mean, there are tons of them. Mm-hmm. But I think the way that I want us to be differentiated and unique is that I want us to start to equip athletes with technology that helps them to understand their own training data on an unprecedented level. So you're wearing an Apple Watch, mm-hmm. and I'm wearing an Apple Watch, and lots of other people are wearing Apple Watches, and there are other smart watches. Mm-hmm. If you look at where wearables are growing in the market, yeah. they're, they're growing. Big time. Big time, right? Um, the growth curves look really similar to what the growth curves looked like for mobile devices, mm-hmm. right? Wearables, uh, I think, are here to stay. They're a thing. Yeah. You start to look at what these wearable devices can do today, and you imagine, well, what might they be able to do in six months, 12 months, a year? Mm-hmm. 
well, if I'm an athlete and I'm wearing a wearable device, what could it do for me? Well, if I'm, if I'm wearing a wearable device and I'm exercising, think about all the data points that mm-hmm. can be collected. How, how often do I exercise? What times of day do I exercise? What's the duration of how much I exercise? Mm-hmm. How does my heart rate vary as I exercise? Um, you know, what, what is the relative intensity of the kind of exercise I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Because if I'm, if I'm holding a barbell in my hands and I'm wearing an Apple Watch, there's an accelerometer in that Apple Watch. There's a gyroscope in that Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. There's a magnetic compass in that Apple Watch. There's yeah. a GPS system in that Apple Watch. So what, what could I do for an athlete that wants to train smarter, that wants to be a better competitor? Mm-hmm. Well, if I put myself you know, in, in that equation man, I, I want to know how to get a better return on my time. Mm-hmm. I want to know how to get a better return on the investment I'm putting into fitness. If I'm spending hundreds of dollars a month you know, across uh, a membership somewhere, supplements, apparel, and if I'm spending, um, you know, let's say, maybe tens of hours a month mm-hmm. training, um, man, I, I don't want to leave anything on the table. Yeah. Right? I, I want something that's going to help me personalize my training in a way that I'm going to be better than I could have been without it. Mm-hmm. And when you start to think about personalized training, it's a luxury. How many people can afford to pay a personal trainer ever? Yeah. Not many, right? They're 50 to $100 yeah. an hour kind of rate or more in, mm-hmm. in big metro areas. M- most people are not in the market for that. Right. But what if you could get 80% of the kind of feedback that a personal trainer could give you through a wearable device, through the combination of a wearable device and a mobile app, let's say? Yeah. What if it could inform your training decisions, inform some of your behaviors, mm-hmm. nudge you in some of the right directions? Um, if, if you want personalized training, what if it could facilitate that relationship so that you and your coach are actually having a conversation that's rooted in your performance data? Mm-hmm. How many, I've paid for some personalized training, I've delivered some personalized training, and, I, and I'm sure there are a lot of coaches out there that break out the spreadsheets and, and, and crunch the numbers, but I think it's somewhat uncommon based on my own experience. It's a lot of work. Right. Yeah. It's, a lot, like, it's a lot of work for an athlete to, to do the training to begin with. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, now let me go log a bunch of data. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's a lot of work for, for a coach to, to be there and think about the programming. Oh, great. Now let me go build a spreadsheet and right. you know, click yeah, the stopwatch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a lot of work. What if technology, back mm-hmm. to what is the purpose of technology? Well, it, it's to do work for us so that mm-hmm. we can do more of the things we want to do. Yeah. So what if, what if the athlete can wear a smartwatch? What if the athlete can do the training? What if the machine can do maybe not all, but a lot of the analysis? Mm-hmm. And now the coach gets to basically have an assistant coach that's done all this grunt work for them. Now the coach gets to be a better coach and spend time with the athlete, talking to the athlete, interacting mm-hmm. on a very human level. 
Yeah. Same for the athlete, right? It, it, it just makes sense to me that this is where the arc of the curve for fitness tech is mm-hmm. headed. Yeah. Um, I, I've studied this market really closely. And, I mean, I just think there's some incredible opportunity. Not, not We're not talking general wellness. We're not talking health care. I'm talking fitness very specifically, like mm-hmm. like the athletic training market very specifically. Yeah. Some really cool yeah. opportunities. Yeah. And from, I mean, from what I'm seeing, there's not a lot of people going into that, especially not utilizing something you already have. You know, there's, a, there's companies that I've seen that want you to purchase a, another piece of technology to, to wear or yep. whatnot. But to use something you already have is, you know, like the market widens greatly just yeah. from that little piece. Yeah, you know, I, I think there are some companies that, you know, they had a hunch about this. And I think they, mm-hmm. they started, some of these companies started maybe a decade ago. They developed their own custom hardware because... They had to. Sure, yeah. And now you have these smartwatch platforms that, mm-hmm. that I think are just going to become a commodity. Mm-hmm. And every new build of, say, the Apple Watch or the Android watches, they're only going to get better sensors. They're only going right. to get more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And if you present your typical consumer with a decision, hey, you can buy this specialized training device or you can buy an Apple Watch for about the same price. Right. And yeah, yeah. the Apple Watch will do just about everything that specialized training device will do. Mm-hmm. Which one would you rather have? Oh, yeah. It's like yeah. you don't have to twist people's arms to, to get mm-hmm. them to say, well, yeah, I think I'd like an Apple Watch yeah. or a smart watch or some type of wearable device that sure. would serve multiple purposes in my life. So is this a real thing now? That you have, or is this something coming? What it, what is? It, it is a real thing now. So it's in private alpha. I don't know what that means. Oh, so you know, private so alpha. So, it, so in software, you know, if you have a product that is delivered to the market, you'd call that like GA. That's generally available. Okay. It's out there, right? You can go to throwdowns.com right now. You can create a competition. You can sign people up, right? That's GA. Okay. Alpha is is sort of like. It's just out of the lab. Okay. Right? Okay. So so I use our training app for for my own training. Right. Okay. So so before I come here to to meet with you for this podcast, I'm in my garage gym training using the app mm-hmm. to to record my training, getting the automated report after my training so that I can look at my training. So okay. that I can What does that look like? Like does it look like a like a spreadsheet? Does it look like a a graph? What it, I mean? What? Um, well, well. So it, it it's early, right? Okay. But but what it looks like now, it tells me when I trained, how long I trained, where I trained. Uh, it gives me a summary of the movements that I've completed. It gives me really durations. so it, it can tell an uh, air squat from a thruster. Right now, the way the interface works, I I'm going to tell it. Okay, I'm, you're I'm doing. Telling, okay, I'm, I'm scribbling yeah. with my finger, saying air squat. Scribbling with my finger, thruster. Scribbling with my finger, Frans. You know, scribbling with my finger. You know, five RFT. Gotcha. You know, yeah. um, whatever. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, but, so you're inputting what the workout is, and you can see that, and how your what what your body is doing throughout that workout. Kind yep, of. Yep. Yep. So so I'm so conceptually I'm 
completing an exercise, a training session, mm-hmm. and I'm dividing my session into segments, mm-hmm. and I'm labeling my segments, right? I can call it whatever I want. I, I'm not requiring you to to choose from a picker of, you know, 3,000 items, and it, it's a very natural, easy, kind of like intuitive interface. Mm. Um, there are lots of timers built in mm-hmm. that's tracking... When, when am I active versus when am I idle? Mm-hmm. Um, how is my heart rate changing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as well as just, you know, you, you could imagine over the course of a session, even just looking at, at your heart rate graph and then having markers that, that show you, well, you know, during your warm up, well, you see your heart rate start to rise. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you spend 10 minutes on the assault bike doing some type of interval and you you sort of see these spikes and it's hovering around maybe 150. Mm -hmm. Well, and then you do Fran and and you see it, you know, ultimately escalate and peak out at, you know, 196. Yeah. Pushing 200 or something. Right. Um, Blacked out for a little bit, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, there's this part where you're unconscious, uh, you know, and it knows that because you're, the watch isn't moving and you're just laying on the ground. But, but these sensors in this watch can collect some incredible Mm. data. Yeah. At a very high hertz rate, like so, if you break down, you know, a second mm-hmm. into fifty intervals, that would be fifty hertz. Okay. You know, if you break it down into a hundred intervals, that'd be a hundred hertz. Mm-hmm. So you can collect data at a very high sampling rate. Mm. So you end up with a lot of data. So if you want to build a business around, you know, any system of sensors like a smartwatch. Mm-hmm to predict something, to, to facilitate something useful, mm. you've got to be a master when it comes to data. You've got to understand how yeah. to build systems that can learn from data. Mm. You've got to be able to learn, build systems that can predict things from patterns of data. Sounds like AI to me. Sa- sounds like machine learning to me. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, geez. So, you know, it's a little bit... Uh, it's, it, it's a little bit of a unique expression, right? I think of who I am, right? I love business. Mm -hmm. I love fitness. I love data, data analysis, building systems from Mm -hmm. data analysis. And and so you start to think about, you know, businesses, companies, uh, company cultures, you know, company missions. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of of these principles that, that I think is true is that, you know, the culture of a team sort of whether you want it to or not, it naturally sort of evolves from leadership. Like leaders drive culture. Mm -hmm. You know, that that is just a principle that is true. It's like a truth of organizational dynamics. Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at startup businesses, early stage businesses, you know, it's like the values of the founder almost always drive yeah. the missions of successful companies. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, this business um, is is very much, I think, you know, a unique expression of of me and, and a lot of my values, right? Mm-hmm. Like how, how common is it really, you know, for a CrossFit athlete to have a, a fairly rigorous background in data and machine learning and want to take the risk of building an early stage business and be able to 
pull together the capital sources to make it happen and mm. build the team to do it and get the revenue flowing. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you start to, to work that equation out. Um, I just think that's an important thing for people to hear because there's a lot of cool things you could do that sound good, mm. but figure out what you can be the best in the world at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah. Like that, that's yeah. a hard thing to figure out. But if you can figure out what you think you can be the best in the world at, mm-hmm. like that might be your business. That might mm. be something you should put some real thought into. Yeah. Yeah. I keep thinking about opening a speakeasy. I feel like I'd be really good at that. You know. Um, Pouring people like bourbon and you, talking. I mean, I'm pretty great at that. I, I, I think there's a market for that. Uh, my friends tell me that, but I can't find anybody to invest cheapskates. Uh, I have to also quit my day job. It might be awkward. But yeah, so I, th- I think that's if, fantastic. if you have a speakeasy and, and and you only serve Pappy Van Winkle, you, you know you, you could oh, probably there's a yeah there yeah that that you almost baited me right there. I almost went down a whole whole rabbit trail. I refrained myself. I feel like I'm growing in the process right now. I feel like you've made me a better person. The uh, he, here's what I need in 2.0. Once you once you polish this one up that you got going on in here, 2.0 needs to have. Some some kind of way that it knows when I'm going for the freezer, needing some ice cream, and it just gives me a little vibrate, you know, on my watch, and, the, and it's like, buzz, buzz, and, and maybe a message that pops up says you're better than that, or like it, it, every time a waiter or waitress comes to the table and says, "Would you guys like dessert tonight?" It 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 somehow knows that, like you know, like Alexa, and and goes, "No, he doesn't." Like maybe it just answers for me. I don't know. Yeah. Also, if you could make it shock you, maybe at some point, I don't know. Maybe is there sensors inside Apple watches that sense bad food choices? I feel like that needs to be two point Just some for you to work on. We'll, we'll <laughs> add that to the add that to the backlog, you know. But but I do I do think like when when you look at any any fitness business, really, you know the the fundamental usually breaks down into you're trying to induce some kind of behavior change, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. you're really getting it at behavior change and all of that. And, you know, so a smartwatch alone may, may not really be equipped to, to help with some of those very specific tactical what? actions. Oh. Uh, but I think it is possible to build systems that, that ultimately contextualize your day mm-hmm. in a way that that you are nudged and are more likely to make more better decisions on average mm-hmm. than others, right? So it may not mm. be that during the workout, the interpretation of your performance data, like is the right time or place or has the relevance to um, speak to some of the things you mentioned. But, you know, if you're training for, say, an hour-ish a day, well, what about the other 23 hours? Mm-hmm. What, what, what could someone do for you if you had a personalized coach that followed you around mm-hmm. nonstop and, and never, you know, never got tired? Yeah, I'd like that. Like, when would they nudge you and what would they tell you mm-hmm. to help you be that better version of yourself or to be more likely to achieve whatever mm-hmm. those stated goals are? You know, it, j- just like anything else, it, it will be an imperfect system. Yeah. But but ultimately, it, yeah, it's not just about training and exercise because that's such a small part of the day. Mm-hmm. That that's important. That's right, that's yeah. a good place to start. 
What about diet? What about nutrition? What about rest? What about recovery? Sleep's big. All those things, right? Yeah, and, and so you look at sleep, right? So, so the next build of Watch OS, the the operating system that runs on the Apple Watch, has some upgraded functionality for sleep quality. Is that the one I just upgraded today? I don't know for just sure, but upgraded, hmm. but it, but it could be, right? Because Apple sees this too. They're, yeah, uh, the quality of sleep is like a multi billion dollar business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been monitoring mine for years now. Yeah, it, it, with it's, my phone. Yeah. However limited that is, but yeah. Yeah, it's a real thing. And, um, the, you know, the way the Apple Watch works, you know, data can be written to HealthKit. Mm-hmm. HealthKit's, you know, like the, the centralized database for for health marker data that apps can write to it. Mm. And then you can allow third-party apps, if you want to, to have access to certain yeah, bits yeah. in HealthKit. And so imagine for a minute that you... You're getting ready for a training session, and maybe you know your personalized prescription is. Um, let's say it's going to be heavy Fran, right? Mm-hmm. So do Fran, but you know let's do it with 135, and, and let's do strict pull-ups. Yeah, yeah. So so imagine your sleep quality the night before it's not so great, mm-hmm. and imagine this is an early morning training session. Like, yeah, like maybe that workout could be customized. Maybe you could be. Uh, offered the option to say, hey, here's what we had planned. Doesn't look like you rested very well last night. Um, maybe you should do normal Fran. Maybe you should mm-hmm. scale down heavy Fran to somewhere in between. Not do it at all. <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> if you didn't sleep at all, yeah, right, yeah. that would make perfect sense. You should right? go take a nap right now instead. But Because, right, that. health and wellness and fitness, right, these things are are important, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the whole context of h- how you're fueling your body and how you're operating your body mm-hmm. should directly impact how you train and how yeah. you, you know, you think about what, what should be, um, you know, part of that training session. And right now we just have all these little data silos, right? We've got the sleep apps and we've got the training mm-hmm. apps and we've got the diet apps and, there, there's just there's not the interconnectivity mm-hmm. that that the 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 really world class personalized coach mm-hmm. would put together. If, yeah, like my fitness pal isn't communicating with uh, whatever I use for the sleep thing, you know, and that's not communicating with Wattify, Watt Together, whatever mm-hmm. you know operating systems in planner that you're using. Yeah, um, yeah. and so you're. You're adding more complexity to your life than making it easier, allowing technology to make your life life better. And so you are working on the solution to that, is what, what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, that I, a solution to that. Yeah, I, I, th- th- that's really the future of the business, right? Mm-hmm. That's the fruition. So, so I see CrossFit and CrossFit competitions as an amazingly fun and interesting segment of the market to be in. And mm-hmm. there are real problems there that I, that I love working on, that the team loves working on, that, that, that is just near and dear to our hearts. And so mm-hmm. we're, we're not taking our eye off that ball, but we're, you know, if we, if, if we sort of generalize and say, well, gosh, if you have this community of athletes that are connected together and they're competing, well, well why are they competing? They love training. Mm-hmm. They they love fitness. They want to be fitter. Well, 
why don't we help them do more of these things they want? Why yeah. don't we try to build something that, that, that helps them all get more of what they want in life? Uh, because that's what we want more of in life as well. And more personalized to them. And more yeah. personalized to them, right? Because, I mean, fitness is a fad-driven industry precisely because it has not been personalized historically. Think mm. about that for a minute. If I sell you an exercise program that's just for you, mm-hmm. as opposed to I sell you an exercise program that also works for a million other people, mm-hmm. likely two very different products, yeah. right? And Hopefully. Fit, yeah. And fitness has been a, a fad-driven industry, in, in, my, in my opinion, because it's not been personalized, right? The... The, the the pieces of equipment, the programs, the um, you know even to some extent the diets, um, you know just you look across the board and generally speaking, there's there's not been a great degree of personalization. If you want the personalization, mm-hmm. you go pay the dietitian you know a lot of money per hour right. or the personalized coach or trainer a lot of money per hour, and yeah you you'll get personalization. But then well. How do you scale that? Mm-hmm. It's hard to scale personalization, right? Because how would you? Well, it takes a lot of real thought. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of real intention. It takes careful consideration. Oh, okay, well, let's build a robot to do it. Let's mm-hmm. build AI, machine learning to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we need the data because you can't build mm-hmm. the AI or the, the machine can't learn without the data. Mm-hmm. Well, where's the data going to come from? Well, guess what? It's not going to come from your notebook you've got in your gym bag. No. Nope. It's not going to come from the conversation you had verbally with you know your personal trainer in front of the whiteboard. Right. It's got to come from a digital source. Mm-hmm. Well, what could that digital source be? Could be an app on your phone. Could be a wearable device. Could be some connectivity between yeah, the two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like that's the future of... You know the business of fitness as I see it when when you start to slice it, um, you know technologically. Mm-hmm. And this is what you're working on. This is the future. Yeah, this, this is this is what we're working on. This so, is yeah. When are we, when are we going to have this ready? Next week? I'm just joking. Well, like I say, I'm I'm used. I mean, me yeah, and, and you're members in of the trials team, right now. Is yeah, that what you would call it? We're we're, we're using the app internally right now, mm-hmm. working out kinks. Um, you know, I expect uh, early next year we'll have a you know, call it a beta. So, okay. you know, I said sort of in alpha now, it's sort of like out of the lab was well, we publish oh, it. Oh, that's what that means yeah. when they say a, a beta version. Yeah, yeah. It means it's not quite oh. generally available yet. It, it's right. sort of like one step before that. But yeah. I, I've, I've never understood it in terms of from alpha, beta would be right out of that. Yeah. Like I've always just assumed it just meant this is this is the 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 first run at it we're going to make some corrections before we really launch kind of yeah thing. Be- beta generally means it, it we think it's ready there's some rough edges yeah um it, it, it's you know it's almost certainly going to work but we're not really gonna to, to call it official yet because we we just need a little more confidence we we want to we want to get it in front of a few more people, right? Yeah, so so yeah. it's a it's a little bit of a caveat, is is what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. So beta is just yeah. like, hey, we got this caveat we're going to apply, so that you know you're you're a little more understanding with us if you use it, and yeah. it's not exactly the experience you expected. That's really cool. I really like that, man. That's fantastic. I can't wait for that. 
Yeah, well, it's it's exciting for us too, and um, you know the, the rest of the competitions platform is you know we're we're, we're evolving it and, and sure. shaping it and shipping new new features you know almost daily. Wow. But but yeah, we're also working on this training app, mm-hmm. and um, you know we we want to plug that into the competition community. Yeah, yeah. Because what what better way to do it, right? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Why not take a group of people that are that are competing and, and training and want nothing more than to do more of that mm. and say, Hey, we've got something that'll help you do more of this thing you love yeah. and get a better return on your time, get a better return on, uh, you know, the, the, the energy, the money you're spending mm-hmm. yeah. on this yeah. thing you're already doing. That's really cool. Well, I, do, do you have any, what, anything else you're working on? Like, is that, is that the, you got somebody that'll work out for me and I just get the benefits from it. You got a, you got a, Learning device, I'll do that. Little learning machine, learning. No, you know, I don't. I don't Maybe know. Uh, I'm just joking. No, I got you. Um, <laughs> don't know. Um, don't know what else. Uh, you know, I could tell you other than um, you know we're we're growing the company. Yeah, we're, we're this growing. is not just a uh, competition company anymore. Yeah, it started as that, and right. you know, and, and I think you you got to start with a really specific problem. You got to be focused, mm-hmm. but you know, there's this there's this art in in trying to find the balance between uh, you know solving a real problem today, but not being so short sighted yeah. that that you kind of miss the forest for mm-hmm. for like the tree right in front of you. Yeah, and anticipating and, the problems for tomorrow to solve. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, I only expect fitness and, and the market of, of fitness to continue to, mm-hmm. to grow and evolve. And I look at that and say, yeah, that's where I want to spend the rest of my professional life. Yeah. Like, why not? Like, that's what cool. could be more exciting than, than than being a part of this market with these people, mm-hmm. you know, working on working on things that I use myself, that I love, that, mm-hmm. that everyone else uh, is going to enjoy as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Matt, thanks for uh, being on here. Appreciate it. It's been I, fun. I, I've learned more than I could probably process tonight, but uh, I'm a little less scared of the Terminator well, at hey, this just, point. Just and keep just keep playing the podcast over and over while you sleep, right? Yeah. Just... Is that what this is? This will help my sleep. This is. <laughs> uh, nah, I'm excited about the the new product and whatever you're going to call it. You know, um, I don't. I don't know what that is. I'm sure it's a cool name. I don't know. Do you, can you say the name? Do you have a name? Well, we're we're you know we're we're working on you know a few few different things. Yeah. Um, you know, so co- conceptually, you know, we're we're thinking of the large uh, sort of collection of data yeah. as the fitness graph. Yeah, and we're thinking of you know a, a possible name for for the watch app as Barbell Science. Oh, that's cool. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because yeah. CrossFit athletes, at least for the for the CrossFit market version yeah, of this, yeah, yeah. you always touch the barbell. I the barbell's so. typically central to your workout. Mm-hmm. Now, there's more to your workout than just the barbell, of course. Shouldn't be. <laughs> the barbell should at least be you know the main thing, right? I, I love I love me some barbell. Um, but but yeah, I mean, if you look at yourself as a bit of a human science experiment. Mm-hmm. Well, barbell science, like yeah, that makes like sense, right? Why, why not call it barbell science? So we're kicking that around. Cool. Um, you know, we're we're you know we're working with with an incredible um, marketing team that that helps us to think through some things as well. Yeah. So, yeah. but but internally, that's how I I internalize it at, at the moment. Yeah, very cool. 
Well, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for your time. And thanks for being on the podcast. It's great. Hope to be back sometime. All right. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening to the Barbell Voodoo Podcast. On your way out, please take time to subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a five-star review if you've liked what you've heard. And also, leave us a comment. Let us know what's going on with you. If you don't mind, stop on Instagram. Give us a little like on the IG at Barbell Voodoo Podcast. Also, you can find me there at fitby40.blog. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.